Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of the California Angels and the City of Los Angeles, on the occasion of Her Majesty's Royal Visit, please welcome internationally renowned opera star Enrico Palazzo. Yes, he's in the intensive care ward at Our Lady of the Worthless Miracle. Locked into the latest episode of the Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast, part of the Rotofanatic Podcast Network. Check out rotofanatic.com today. We've got projections. Crosby Spencer has done the legwork. Now you reap the rewards. Go to rotofanatic.com, click on the projections tab at the very top of the page, and dive in for your 2021 draft prep. It's episode 76, the Alex Kirilov edition. We've done many shows since the beginning of the new year. A lot of people have come through these hallowed hallways of the Palazzo podcast. Today is no exception. Please welcome from Razzball, everywhere Blair, Blair Williams. Join your host, Michael Govier, as Blair and Michael break down fantasy baseball and a whole lot more than that. No stone is left unturned in this edition of the Palazzo Podcast. Blair is a very thoughtful and expressive human being who has a lot of experience with fantasy baseball, living in Japan, and the world of academia. So make sure you're paying attention for this one. Take notes, because you're not going to want to miss a moment of this Palazzo Podcast. Take it away, boys! Welcome to the latest episode of the Hey! It's Rico Palazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast, part of the Roto Fanatic Podcast Network, of course. I'm Michael Govier, your host for this evening's festivities. At MJ Govier on Twitter is where you can find me. It's a pleasure to have you aboard. We're really excited today. It's just me. No Deary. Deary is uh, 
recovering. You know, he's getting better, healing up. Got some medical work done today, so he's resting up. I told him, I'll handle everything. It's just going to be me and today's guest on the show today. But before I introduce our guest, don't forget that you can follow the show on Twitter, at Palazzo Podcast. Two L's and two Z's is how we do it every damn time. Utah, give me two. Palazzo Podcast at ProtonMail.com is the easiest way to email the show. Or you can DM us on Twitter or the Facebook page as well, at Palazzo Podcast, two L's, two Z's. That's what we got for you. Today's guest is a fine human being, one of the more elite minds in terms of compassion, understanding, and comedy, rolling all of those things into one. It's not easy to do that. Today's guest has all of those and more. So many facets to his personality. He's a big fan of Japan. I know that much. I also know he loves fantasy baseball. And he works at Razball. You can find his work over there, and you can find him on Twitter because... He's everywhere. That's right. It's everywhere. Blair. Blair Williams is in the house tonight. I can never keep up with what his latest title is when he changes his name on Twitter. So just call yourself whatever you want, Blair. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me on. Woohoo! Yeah. Oh, cool. Zytor's here. My guy, Richard Zito. What up, Zytor? My guy. I love Rich. I sent him a t-shirt once. Did you know that? I think I heard that in your last episode, and uh, it's nice to know it's nice to know the mail system still works. <laughs> that was a while ago, though, so I don't know if it still works. But uh, <laughs> I'm glad you're here, man. I've been looking forward to meeting you in real life. This is as close as we can get to real life for now. So I've always wondered what you're like, your mannerisms, and we're doing the live stream so you can see us. And for those of you that are hearing the podcast version, you can hear us. And what I'm seeing of you, uh, it's about what I expected. You're a, you're a pretty handsome dude. Well, thanks. You know, just, I'm uh, I'm nearly forty now, and uh, I'm a little bit older than you, if I, if I remember correctly. I think you're mid forties or something like that. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, I'm forty. Yeah, exactly. Then, so. Oh, really? Yes. Are you older? Right than on me? the button. Dang. Maybe. So I mean, your I just turned January fourteenth. So I just turned thirty nine. Yes, I'm definitely um, older than you. Oh, no. Okay. Well, okay. You're right. You're older than me, but uh, I appreciate it. We're both uh, quote unquote Midwesterners. We, all, we never quite know what the Midwest is called. Uh, just the other day, I saw uh, somebody vouching for our good friend Al Melchior, who lives in Montana, being in the Midwest. Love. But I love Al, but Montana is not in the Midwest. Sorry, Al. I cannot abide by that. No way. Yeah. He's, he's got to prove it by eating some hot dish. So. <laughs> John Fish is in here. I see him. Hey, John, how's it going? There he is. John's checking in. John loves the show. He's always been a big supporter of it. John, I thank you for that. He's definitely in the Midwest because he lives in Wisconsin. That's definitely the Midwest, Blair. No doubt about it. That's me too. I'm. Uh, I'm I grew up in Minnesota, 27 years. Moved to Wisconsin 10 years ago. Uh, I'm just on the border in the St. Croix River. Uh, oh. I mean, you know, my location's in my bio. Everybody's like, I, I remember uh, the other doc, quote unquote, Mike Carter from your Roto Fanatic shout button. Um, one time yeah, asked me good. where uh, where New <laughs> Richmond is, and I mean, it's basically an exurb of Minneapolis. I grew up in Minneapolis and uh, went to high school, and you, you know, in the suburbs, and now I'm out in Wisconsin. So uh, definitely Midwest born and bred. So. I was born and raised a Michigander myself, and I'm back in Michigan. I always leave this place, and then I come back. It's happened at least three times, 
And mm-hmm. for some reason, it just sucks me back in. I don't know why, but eh, this is how it goes. Uh, the Green Magnus says, is China the Midwest? That's a good question. That's a fair question, Patrick. <laughs> well, you, you know, in, in Chinese, you are the central country. So in, in the way, you're the, uh, in the Midwest of, you know, the world. <laughs> hey, all I know is Midwesterners are the really the most reasonable and kind people around. Uh, they can be a little radical at times as well, but I'm glad that we share that. And I'm glad that I was raised in a place like Michigan, even though it sucks now. I mean, Michigan's mm-hmm. gone to hell. It used to be a wonderful state. But it's just not the same anymore. And I've left three times, but I always come back. So I don't know what that says about me, but <laughs> that's how it goes, Blair. I'm I'm just going to be the guy who <sighs> is going to be like in a love-hate relationship with this state he grew up in. And that's just how it is. No, I, I, I hear that too. And I've, I've left many times and I've come back. And as much as I love Japan, um, in my previous career, nobody followed me before uh, last year when I came into the fantasy baseball community and, um, uh, back when I was a Japanese scholar and, uh, Midwest still kind of went over Japan. It's where my heart was. It's where my family was. It's where my life is. And here I am. And now I get to do this cool thing called, uh, you know, studying baseball, uh, and publishing for all of you. And that's, that's, it's really, honestly, it's kind of the, t- took the game, uh, that I love to play and turned it not only just to a passion of, you know, how I spend my pastime, but turns it into something that I can share with a much larger audience than uh, what academia provided. Absolutely. And you know, fantasy baseball isn't the biggest thing in the world, but you're right. It opens you up to more people. And I think that's cool. That's why I love the community. People say it's very white and male dominated. Those are true points, no doubt about it, but it is open to, bringing people in. It really is. It's just a matter of branching out and making sure people understand that from the outside. I I really believe that. I think the future is very bright for the fantasy baseball community and those that want to take part in it. I do. Yeah, and I agree. Um, I mean, mean, uh, if if anybody remembers, and actually it's kind of, here's here's a good little segue. It's how uh, Michael and I met in a way is last year I published uh, sort of on my own whim this uh, response to Alex Fast, shout button. Booyah. Uh, who's asking about what do we do with inclusivity in the fantasy baseball community? And uh, I, I wrote about it from my own experiences being in academia and having a bunch of academic friends who uh, studied sports but didn't always do fantasy sports. And uh, particularly they were concerned about the words ownership and uh, the fact that literally, I mean, I, I've I've been in league since 2001, and they're basically all white dudes. Um, and uh, I wrote that, and Alex uh, actually kind of retweeted it and put it out there. Um, at the same time, you know, you were discussing your return to the game, quote unquote, and that's that's your story to tell. I don't know if it's tonight or later, but your return to the game, so to speak, and we kind of connected, and you would occasionally tweet out to me and it's like, oh yeah, I'm thinking about coming back. And it's like, well, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm coming out in a way. It's like, I, I've, I've, I've played since 2001 and uh, I was always told to stay off Twitter and stay off the social media for my academic career. My academic career never turned into anything. So uh, it was one of those things that, that when uh, Alex Fast kind of shot out my, my article uh, I got I got noticed, and finally the community kind of opened up, and I realized that uh, I, I needed to get off the sidelines and get in the game, you know, and go 
play center field. Hell yes, Blair. I'm so down for that. You speak your, your, not your truth. You're just a very, you seem like a very honest guy, like a genuine dude. And not that everybody isn't, but some people are more reserved or they're not willing to express themselves as freely, especially on public forums like Twitter or any other social media. But I feel like I get the real you whenever I engage with you online, and that's not always easy to do. So, you know, shout out to you, my friend. That's why I was drawn to you. Yeah, I mean, and that, that's, that, that goes for anybody. You know, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's not what every academic does, you know, because uh, if, if, you're, if you're literally in the game, quote-unquote, of academia, you, you're worried about preserving your career because it's, uh, it's, it's under attack right now, but I'm out of the game. Um, I, I did my best. I spent 10 years, uh, and it's, it's something that nearly tore me apart and that's for another podcast, but, uh, at the same, yeah, at the same time, um, I, I, I am who I am and, uh, I, I do my best to, uh, I, I don't want to say tell it like it is, but I want to make everything productive and build people up as best we can through honesty um, because it's uh, the, the, the phrase tell it like it is, you know, is, is turned into sort of this break it down, uh, awful phrase. But if we can help people be them best selves and be productive and achieve their goals, I mean, what, what more can you ask for out of it, out of life than that? Woo. As a former teacher, I know exactly what you're talking about, Blair. Trust me. I get it. I do. I've been there and I remember always feeling like I had to be walking on eggshells in any type of public forum because who knows who would find out if I not even things that were controversial in my opinion I was just being myself but other people absorb things differently and they might be like oh he's a teacher he can't be like that he can't say fuck oh you know it's like I don't want to I don't want to live my life like that so I was happy to be free of that existence no more teaching for Mr. Govier although it was fun but eh takes a toll on your personal life in my opinion yeah and i mean it's uh, I, i'm an introvert um believe it or not uh, I'm, I'm a sarcastic introvert and teaching exhausts you and i i, I don't want to place my assumptions upon you but you, you seem to be a little bit more extroverted <laughs> and so as an introvert teaching exhausted me and i i was just done after teaching. I mean, I loved it, but at the same time, uh, you know, being an introvert when you're around people, it expends that energy. Um, and especially, I mean, to, to relate this in the fantasy baseball, when you expend that energy and nobody reciprocates, like you write an article and nobody listens, it burns you out over time. And it's one thing when it's fantasy baseball and you're, you're sort of like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm making this projection and it doesn't work out. Nobody paid attention anyway. Everybody forgot it. But when you're teaching like some of these cases, like you're at a liberal arts college and students are paying $50,000 a semester uh, or a year for their tuition. And you're like and, and they're not paying attention. They're not reciprocating. You're just sort of like, OK, what's going on with my life? What am I doing wrong? Um, yeah. So sort of this transition into fantasy sports is so liberating for me because now I, I'm able to take sort of my skills and bring them into a new audience. And hopefully uh, people are enjoying it and uh, hopefully they're getting something out of it. And hopefully it's being productive in this game that we all love and this community that we love. And we're able to take it to sort of this new level 
um, and evolve. Um, because ultimately, when I mean, just 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 to say, you know, like we're all in TGFBI mode right now, right? Uh, oh yeah. TGFBI. If if anything, it's just an evolution of tout wars and labor, right? Um, these the old world that you're talking about with Jeff Erickson of the 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 original uh, ways of learning about the expert fantasy baseballers, TGFBI and Raz Slam are the new world. And uh, in many ways, we're just kind of at the precipice of this evolution of the community. And we're just kind of waiting for uh, what will be next. And at the same time, we're creating and we're uh, building and uh, it's exciting. And in many ways, I'm, I'm happy to be in the community now officially and helping out in that next stage of where do we go? I love it, man. Yeah. When you put yourself out there, sometimes people will criticize and say things, and but that's what we're doing here. You know, they might t- you know, say things that you won't want to hear. We're going to get all in your face and point out your faults. Sometimes that happens. So that's the risk we take. Yeah. But Hey, I'm glad that we're doing it here, man. I'm glad you're aboard. Today's show, we're going to talk about some fantasy baseball stuff. We'll take a look at spring training, see how that's going. Some interesting developments starting to brew. We'll look at the value zone. We'll get Blair's take on various fantasy thoughts. And we'll shine a ride the pine, do some predictions, of course. And we'll use the Rotofanatic projections that are now available on rotofanatic.com. That's right. Crosby Spencer has worked his ass off, and we have projections available. Go to rotofanatic.com right now. Click on the link on the top that says projections. And you can see them for yourself. They're a little more aggressive than maybe your your classic projections are. But that's why I like it. Because it's filled with a lot of background research. I mean, we're talking multi-years and data that goes back over the last three plus from various angles. Expected stats that Crosby has created himself. He's a very smart guy. I don't know if anybody knows that or not. But Crosby Spencer is somebody you, know, you should be talking to if you're interested in learning more and understanding data like the details, the nitty-gritty of how data is done in analytics and fantasy baseball, Crosby knows his stuff. And I wouldn't say that if I didn't believe it. I would just kind of never mention him. It would be a lot easier to do that. So I want people to know that, and we hope that you enjoy those. We're doing good stuff at Rotofanatic. You got my shirt on. There it is. You know, Rotofanatic. You know, it's all over this uh, live stream, so it's pretty obvious that Rotofanatic is a part of my life, and uh, I hope you enjoy that. But, Blair, you work at Razzball, and Razzball is a really cool place, so... Tell us one thing we should know that Razzball does better than anybody else. Uh, I, 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 that's a good question because, you know, it's not like I'm prepared to uh, <laughs> say that. So, um, so Razzball, in short, was the creation of, uh, quote-unquote, Gray Albright and Rudy Gamble in uh, 2008, perhaps 2009. Yep. Um, they're, they're pseudonyms. Real people. Um, I mean, you know, behind the pseudonyms, there are real people. And uh, what is it? 2008, 13 years later, dang. Uh, I started reading Rasball in 2009 when I was living in Japan because I would, uh, I I had no internet in my Japanese school. And so I would load up the Rasball articles and I would, before I left my house and I would read them as I got to my school in my free time. Uh, and that's kind of where I started to be a Rasball fan. And what they do better than anybody else is, in my opinion, strategy. Um, because what you're looking at ultimately is Rudy and Gray kind of being the 1A, 1B 
of the site and that they themselves don't take their rankings all that seriously. But Rudy, if you look at the Tout Wars leaderboard, is third. Gray is, I believe, 28th. And that's when you include historical. Uh, there are a lot of people on the Tout Wars leaderboard that aren't playing right now um, and have stopped playing. So, you know, you can calculate it. Yay! You can calculate it out. Uh, but pound for pound, you're looking at two of the best fantasy sports players uh, who are in the business today. Um, and they, they're, they're actually really low key about it when it comes down to it. Um, so like, you know, here I am on the plots of podcast. It, it's not like they told me to say, Oh, here's what you got to say. The company line. Like, no, like I'm making this off the top <laughs> of my head. Like I, I was a fan of Rasball for 10 years. Um, yes. And when one day I, I got the, the note in my DMs from Gray saying, hey, I'm interested in having you come right from my site. Um, it, it, it was like a dream come true because finally I went from the, the anonymous reader. I wasn't even a commenter. Like, like, again, I said, I was trying to stay off of so much social media to kind of hide my academic identity. Yeah. Um, and suddenly I came out and Gray had no idea. I was literally like one of the biggest fans of the site and so for me it was like suddenly i've again the one thing that they do is is play really well and teach really well about it and suddenly it's like wow i'm part of that that's cool you are mm-hmm. dude that's amazing i love to hear that i think that's really cool man i i never heard of Razzball, and i've been playing fantasy baseball for 20 years as i like to say until a couple of years ago. I don't know why they stayed off my radar, but I really like their style. Some people think they're a little too, I don't know. Uh, they speak their mind generally. Most of the people at Razzball speak freely and they're not afraid to kind of go out on a limb. Kind of what we were talking about earlier with putting yourself out there in public. And that might rub some people the wrong way, but I don't see it that way. I'd, I don't know any of the guys personally besides you either. I'm going to be in the Raz Slam, which was just announced the other day. The leagues are out there. I'm going to be with Gray. So uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to know yeah. him a little bit better. Yeah, you you've got a you've got a loaded room. I uh, I joke that I've got the league of death. Um, you know I've got I've got Alex Chamberlain, Derek Rhodes, uh, Howard Bender. Uh, I mean I, I don't want to flip my screen here, but I got a lot of really Ooh, good fantasy baseballers, so to speak, in my league. That's you being gobbled up. Like Pac-Man. Yeah. Bad news. <laughs> yeah, and, and the, uh, the first time you, you get the email and you see your league, and uh, I, I believe uh, Rotowan, who is kind of does both Rasball and Fantasy Alarm. Oh, Alexander. Yeah. Yeah, Mike Alexander, Rotowan, was one of the, he, he was the first person to respond to me when I was like, thanks for putting me in the League of Death. <laughs> and he's like, oh, no, it's not so bad. <laughs> bullshit <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that is great though man I'm so excited I love Rand Slam I love TGFBI but I really love Rand Slam equally as much if not even a little bit more because I like the style I like best ball and I love the cut line format I'm really into it and I did pretty well with it as a first timer last year so I'm very excited for year two and I think more people should know about Rand Slam because you don't have to do as much work you know it's just kind of mm-hmm. draft there's two fab runs right and that's pretty much it so yeah, and I mean, 
here's here's my uh you know look at the future is i think ultimately within the next year or two people are going to combine labor tout wars tgfbi and raslam together as sort of the ultimate leaderboard in terms of fantasy play um because as i kind of mentioned before this is this is all speculation it doesn't matter much to me as much but i know there are people who care deeply about where they rank in yep. the fantasy world and it, it creates their identity and i i it drives it drives a lot of the business too is saying like i'm number one this person's number two this person's number three I wouldn't be surprised if by next year or the year after that, we have like this total board of labor, tout wars, Raslam, TGFBI standings. And then there's like an overall cumulative number one, two, three, and so forth. Um, and that, that can be a dark total recall future, or it can be a brilliance, you know, eternal sunshine of the spot was mine future where suddenly we're all liberated and like, Hey, you know, here's where we're supposed to be. Um, and <laughs> It's going to be interesting to see what the community does with all that information. Yeah, that would be cool. I'd be down with that. I don't try to rank myself at all, but maybe I'm not as ego driven when it comes to fantasy baseball. Clearly, I'm passionate about it and I enjoy it. I'm putting a lot of my time and effort into it now. Mm-hmm. But in terms of my ranking and stature, whatever. Maybe that's something that comes with like more years of experience in the game with like other elite analysts who start to talk more about that stuff, but but I find myself sometimes backing away from some of the aggressive group chatter where people are so focused on every detail that's going on within what analyst is doing what, what website is doing what. It's a competitive, competitive arena, no doubt about mm-hmm. it. But I don't ever want to get too caught up in, like, stature of things. I feel like that would be... Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound like a pleasant future for myself, but rankings are huge. I'm not going to deny that. So I, I welcome that. If people, want, the more clarity we can get on who's the best, because the bottom line does speak for your results. If you're in a league and what you do does dictate kind of what you know over a long period of time, multiple years, right? Yep. So if we can get that and get that all kind of collaborated into one with all of these different analyst sectors, then that sounds great. I'd, I'd be for that. I think that's a good idea. Maybe you should make that happen, Blair. No, you know, I'm, I'm not a data guy, believe it or not. I, I'm, the, I'm a community guy, and I'm, uh, as it comes down to it, I'm a strategy guy, believe it or not. Wow. And you know, as, as we get into the future part of the podcast, you're going to ask me all these questions about these players, and I'm going to look off to my right here, perhaps, you know, left on your screen, and I'm, I'm staring at this ranking of Rasball I have over here, you know, because because I, I'm not that kind of person who's like an autodidact of I, I like, you know, like a you know, baseball cards used to get them in this long tube. And, you know, on the podcast forum, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm showing like a shape of a rectangle just so you can understand what I'm showing when you listen to this on the podcast, you get, you know, your 780 baseball cards and you would pull them out and you would like memorize them as a kid. Uh, we're yeah. both of the age where we used to do that. It's like, I, I can't do that. Like maybe, maybe 10 players, 20 players, 30 players at most on a good year. You're sort of like, oh yeah, I got that person right off the top of my head. And I remember uh, I was listening to your uh, interview with Yancey and he's sort of like, oh, yeah, I'm just pulling this stuff out of my you know, expletive. And I, I feel that same way too, is that uh, I'm, I'm not a data guy. And when it comes to spreadsheets, like 
I, I got my pitcher rankings and they're, they're what you can get on fan graphs. But when you're looking at like the deep dives and the people who are uh, uh, scraping data off of websites and uh, producing quote unquote new knowledge, that's not me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, that that's sort of like you, you need to know what you're good at and you know they're suddenly transitioning into how, how do you make yourself a, a good fantasy baseball analyst like you got to figure out what you're good at um and you got to own it and you got to know what you're not good at yeah and make sure make sure that you reference people who do know what they're good at always good to reference people who know their shit and if you know strategy then you should focus on that and push it and reference people who do that you know what i mean strategery yep. well Let's get into some of the gratitude that we always do on the show. The show is all about gratitude. We have to give back and say thank you to those that give to us. It does mean something. Some people think it's a scam. It's a joke. It's not true. He's not genuine. Well, I don't give a shit what you think in that arena because when I play the Belvedere music, that means we say thank you to everybody else. Remember Mr. Belvedere, Blair? Streaks on the China. Yeah, you know, I'm old enough to watch fair amount of Mr. Belvedere episodes. Uh, he was a he was a reasonable man. But the reason we play the music is to thank you. Thanks to everybody who's been a part of the show this week. And giving thanks means saying thank you to the Roto Brits. They do a great podcast. And it's so cool to have an international connection with people in fantasy baseball. I love, I've always been fascinated by British culture to a certain extent. I don't know why. Um, I'm fascinated by a lot of cultures, but I just love the sound of their, their voices. Even if it's like the really annoying Cockney ones. I don't know why. I, I love Guy Ritchie films. I love shit like that. So I'm so glad that I got a chance to connect with Peter and Ryan. Check out Roto Brits. It's a really good podcast. They actually know what they're talking about, too. They're not just like these British guys who are out of touch with American baseball. It's a good pod. Roto Brits. I was on there the other day talking about outfielders. Go check out what I had to say about Kyle Tucker. And I want to say thank you to the guys of the Fantasy Pros podcast, baseball version. Joe Pisapia and Dan Harris, thanks for having me on. Great podcast. I enjoyed doing the mock draft we did. And you can steal some of my picks if you're in my TGFBI league by looking at the mock draft. And lastly, but definitely not the least, Triple Play. My guys, Doc, Lil Cheesecake, and Mendy had me and Deary on. We did all of our TGFBI leagues. We looked at all of our drafts, and we broke down all of them from all of our points of view. So it's very... Roto focus. So if you're into Roto strategy and uh, drafting, it's that time of year. It's 2021. It's March. This is a great time to be drafting and getting prepped and focused in on how to draft, what you should do with certain picks, who will be available at what range, so on and so forth. So make sure you check out that podcast. The Triple Play guys are really, really good people as well. And they're funny. They're just funny guys. So go have a good time with them. And I want to say thanks to John Fish. John, you're always here repping the show. Thank you so much, John. You did a great job being on Bubba's podcast the other day. So check out Bench with Bubba with John Fish. It's a really good podcast. And, of course, all my Roto Fanatic friends there who are doing wonderful things. Too many to name. Let's keep up the good work, and let's keep up all the great times. Man, this is a great, great moment. I'm so happy right now. I'm really enjoying getting to know all these people and these experiences. So thank you to everybody who has given me some of your time. Do not take it lightly. I don't, Blair. I'm not kidding. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right. Yeah. Cheers. Woohoo! Yay! Cheers. All right. <laughs> Cheers. Salute. All right. Having said that, let's get into the section we call Leading Off. <laughs> Thank you.
And today's leading off, we'll keep it short and simple here. Just kind of talk about what's going on with spring training, and that's pretty much it. I just want to get Blair's thoughts. Blair, has anything stood out to you since spring training started? Is there a trend that you see developing? Is there a player you're like, whoa, I'm already liking what I'm seeing. I'm raising my interest in this player, or I'm decreasing my interest. We had the Framber Valdez injury, so he broke a finger. Going to be a problem for him. Going to limit his value. What do you think? Uh, I mean, that, hey, that's a good transition. Framber Valdez, uh, he was my starting pitcher number three on my TGFBI team. Um, and Buzzkill. Immediately after it was announced that he had uh, immediately after it was announced that he broke his finger, uh, sort of the Razzball Twitter chat broke into this discussion um, because the so what happened uh, just to kind of give everybody a background is that Valdez apparently tried to catch a a grounder with his throwing hands he caught it um, he continued to pitch and initially the report was is that he had a fractured ring finger and a fractured ring finger should take within four to six weeks to heal. But then suddenly he, at least a, you can you can update me if I'm wrong here. According to the most recent news update, is that he may need surgery and miss the entire year. And yeah, Frander, what is up with that? Yeah, so it doesn't make sense to me. Sort of the discussion, at least that we're having at Rasball, is that we we know as being a multi-sport you know a fantasy site is that we know, for example, Jared Goff the, the former quarterback of the Los Angeles Rams had thumb surgery and was being a quarterback 10 days later. Um, and of course things are going to be different for pitchers. What with, you know, pitch grips and uh, our sort of graphic artist cool whip went and searched through all the pitch grips. And he's like, yeah, you know, there, there are a couple of his pitch grips that are ring finger dependent, but it's like 10%. Um, so at first, internally we're like okay we, we moved him down i think 125 spots and then the news came out that he's going to miss the entire season and they're looking for a second opinion and i mean cognitively as as a group we're sort of saying like you know how can this be um yeah so uh, to sort of transition right there spring training thoughts a yes he's injured uh, hope he does better b in terms of fantasy what i had to do uh just to give everybody like what is somebody who's semi-competent in uh, fantasy baseball do to recover from basically losing your third starting pitcher is uh, I approached it kind of in a psychological way. It's like, okay, I know that at some point in everybody's team, you're going to have somebody who's injured. I'm going to take it into the advantage that I know that Framber is injured right now while I'm still drafting. Yes. So what I'm going to do is pivot and change my draft such that I can recover from losing my third starter. Um, and anybody who's vaguely familiar with the Rasball strategy, and you know, we can go into this later, is of course that starting pitchers should be drafted later. Um, I was actually slightly ahead of our you know group in terms of Rasball in drafting my third pitcher with Framber. Um, 
And what I ended up doing is I took a combination of, I'm just going to click over here, make sure I do not get it wrong. Uh, I should frame everybody. I waited until round four in TGFBI, 15 team uh, league, uh, to yep. pick Hyunjin Two catchers, Ryu. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hyunjin Ryu as pitcher number one, round five, Jose Barrios. So I combined those two to take sort of this nice melange of uh, okay strikeouts, nice whip, nice ERA. Framber was supposed to be leading sort of this uh, middle round and allowing me to take more bats. But I had to pivot into uh, what I ultimately did was taking Andrew Haney and Chris Bassett, um, sort of combining them into, again, sort of this 9K per 9, lowish ERA, lowish whip <laughs> possibility, entirely boring, but helpful nonetheless as SP3 and SP4. You then consider Framber Valdez as like, if he doesn't play, okay, he's gone. Um, and if he does play, you consider him like a sort of a middle reliever, sort of. And you're just sort of like, okay, I made a bad pick early. And there we go. <laughs> and ult- ultimately, yeah. Hold on so, to your butts. Yeah, hold on to your butts. And so ultimately, <laughs> that, that's what I did with the Fran, the Fran Brevaldez news. And whether it works out, we'll find out. But uh, so that that's what I did with that. And I think that's probably the biggest news so far. I mean, other than, you know, Wander Franco hitting giant homers. Um, I, I think we're far enough. Yeah, we're far enough into TGFBI to say Andrew McCutcheon looks like a great player. Uh, this is I, such a crock of shit. You don't like McCutcheon? Mm-mm. Oh, come on, man. He's past his prime. The party's over, my friend. I, I love him as a human being. One of the finest human beings ever to don a baseball uniform. No doubt about it, man. But, you know, tearing a knee, getting older, mid-30s, not interested. No DH. That's a bummer. It's a bummer. I don't want to rip on a guy that's such a good person, but we are talking bottom lines. I don't want to be involved with the McCutcheon business in 2021. Mm-hmm. I, I I am not, and I'm probably not going to draft him in Raz Slam. I'll just let you know that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. um, but statistics do like him. Uh, projectionists do like him. Um, there there are of course trade secrets within the Rasball room. I can't share, but uh, there mm-hmm. are obvious mile high teams that are interesting. It's no, it's no secret to anybody that Rockies are awesome. Um, the Rockies, Rockies, suck, yeah, right. They're they're gonna suck, but they're useful. The banquet beer. <laughs> I've, yes, I've written if about you draft a Rocky, he's gonna hit the ball hard, and it's gonna fly a long way. Because when you play it, Coors, you know you're gonna be beer. getting a lot of opportunities to crush offensive numbers. No doubt about it. I wouldn't argue that point. I've written about this before. I personally am enjoying the projections on the Mariners. Um, and I've written already two semi-deep uh, pieces on, of course, uh, Marco Gonzalez, about the most boring pitcher you can think of, and Yusei Kikuchi. And already we're seeing, of course, the whole drama around the Mariners. They've already had a full year, and what, it's the f- first week of spring training. They ha- they've had a full year of drama already. 
Um, and now we're seeing Jerry Kalenic come up and, uh, you know, do, do they start him in April? Do they start him in May? Uh, he's already been drafted in my TGFBI league. Um, Julio Rodriguez, uh, of course, one of one of the, the the question marks I had in my sleepers on Gonzalez and Kikuchi is that last year, each of them really struggled with their actual ERA versus FIP, and that was largely defense coming into play. Of course, defense is going to be messed up when Kalenic and Rodriguez eventually show up. They're not going to stay down all year. At what point do they come up, and what you know do they put them in positions that? Uh, they play defense or do that they don't play defense or where do they put them? What do they do? What do they do with Dylan Moore? Because he's sort of the utility, uh, the Ben Zobrist player who can go everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, what do they do with that? And I mean, there's so many volatile compounds going on with the Mariners um, that I'm excited from a fantasy standpoint, doesn't, doesn't mean anything from a projectionist standpoint. Like these are, these are my recommendations. No, no, no. It's just volatility. And that's what you want, especially if you're one of those people who plays in so many leagues that you want diversity, uh, that you jump into the Mariners and you say, I need a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of, you know, Z column Z, whatever is the third pronoun of this, that, and Z, um, (laughs) that you grab, some sort of Mariner combination across your diversification in your platform. So, um, but ultimately I'm just happy that we're, we're back in spring training. People are pitching uh, my local, I, I don't know if it's national or local, but YouTube TV doesn't basically have anything for me. So I'm catching spring training highlights on Twitter from pitching ninja and whoever posts them. So whoever keeps, walking that fine line of fair use and copyright, please keep doing it because us people in the Midwest, we got nothing. (laughs) Wow. That was great stuff. Thank you, Blair. The thing about spring training is that some of it's real, some of it's not. And you got to keep an eye on who's getting hurt. You know, Luis Urias left today. He might have a hammy issue of the Brewers. Keep it little things like that. But then lineups, what's going on with the lineups as well. And who's leading off? Who's batting where? Don't be fooled either when you see an NL lineup. This is mm-hmm. key, Blair, because there's no DH. But they're using the DH for NL teams in certain games. So that's not mm-hmm. that's not really what we're going to be seeing in regular season. So make sure you're aware of that. Don't assume what you see in an NL lineup with a DH is what you'll get because you're not getting that in the regular season. So make sure you're focused on the details. But don't don't fall in love with, like, like, so we like to do the catch of the day. That's what we do in this segment. You know, we want to point out somebody in spring training who's doing well or had a good day. And it's like, oh, look at that. Wow. It's something to be excited about. And it's fun. So, you know, we do that. Good. Our first catch of the day. And today it's Dan Vogelbach. He had a lovely day for the Brewers. He was batting second. He was the DH, too, which wouldn't exist in the regular season. Went two for two, scored a couple runs, had a walk. So three plate appearances, three successive Access points granted to the bases. And I got to tell you, I was really bummed uh, when they signed Colton Wong because I knew it was going to be worse for Vogelbach. And this is in deeper leagues. Uh, Obviously not so much here. 12 teams leagues, probably 15 team leagues. But I was disappointed because I thought Vogelbach could really crush some bombs there. And in OBP leagues in particular, I always like Vogelbach because he's got a great eye and he can get on base 
great plate discipline skills, even though he strikes out a ton. True three outcome guy. In the end, though, I don't really <laughs> take stock of what happened here today. I, I assume you don't either. You're not excited about Dan Vogelbach, right? I, I mean, conceptually, yes. Like, <laughs> I mean, and that, that's what that's makes me an awful dynasty player is that I, I am that kind of guy. Like, uh, I'll switch to the OPB uh, equivalents of Vogelbach is Robbie Grossman. Like, I was in on Robbie Grossman so early in his career and he was just completely useless for fantasy up until like last year, basically. Um, and I mean, if we're, if we're looking at spring training, the, the, the thing is, is that many of these, especially first week, especially coming off of COVID shortened 60 game season is where we're looking at managers just trying to see uh, a is their health. In fitness, I mean, if, if we're paying attention to uh, football or soccer, so to speak, uh, they're all paying attention to fitness. How are people showing up in shape to camp? Of course, best shape of our life season is full on right now. <laughs> um, and we're, we're hearing all these stories of people in their best shape of their life. And they want to see they want to make sure that everybody spent their you know sort of COVID 2020 being effective and taking care of their body so ultimately can they stand up and can they relatively make that 162 or 140 ish game season you know if you're a rookie so first and foremost there's kind of that then you sort of see a combination of people showing uh, their new skills because sometimes as you pointed out spring training is this weird thing where the rules are broken you've got dhs uh, i think you I'm sorry, I've listened to many of your podcasts recently. I don't know if you said it on yours or with Roto Brits, but like there, there are spring training uh, games that are just like ending in the middle of the inning. They're ending yeah. in inning seven. They're just kind of making it up as they go. Um, yep. So a lot of times you, you're just sort of seeing like, can they perform their skill within a reasonable uh Sort of, sort of grouping of uh, of of sample size. For example, the, the big news, of course, is Dillson LeMay. Uh, is his elbow okay? Like the the news. I mean, I, he, I should say he finished uh, as SP seven last year in fantasy. This is this is why it matters because he was really good. Yeah, but he also missed the playoffs and the role you know, and basically as as they went through the playoffs because he had an elbow problem. And he started spring training not throwing his slider. And if he threw three sliders or five sliders, do we take that as like adjust the rank season? <laughs> um, and it's not like spilling any company secrets, but Rasball is not drafting Dinelson LeMay, despite the fact that if you look at his projections, he's very good. Um, assuming he's healthy, he should produce a very nice uh, number. But the problem is, is that it looks like with elbow injuries, uh, he's not going to make it. And especially when you've got that deep Padres rotation and you've got prospects lined up, ready to take his spot. There's no reason at all that anybody in the front office in the Padres should be like, okay, march yourself out there until you blow out your elbow. (laughs) <laughs> um, 
So, I mean, so you've seen fitness, you've seen, can they do something in a small sample size? Um, and then of course you're going to see just testing the waters is uh, managers are just going to throw stuff against the wall and see if it sticks because uh, maybe that small sample size is indicative of a larger skill set that can be replicated into the season. Um, so we, we can sort of take like hints as fantasy players, like, you know, the hot take with a T-A-E-K uh, to indicate sort of sarcasm right there. We can get excited about this stuff, but you should not necessarily adjust the ranks unless you see a clear assumption of a position as a starter. Um, perhaps you know, an example is uh, Jordan Hicks, who sh- showed that he's still got 100 plus mile an hour uh, capability. He took 2020 off, especially coming off of Tommy John surgery. Um, it's going to be very hard to deny him a high leverage position in the Cardinals bullpen. Do you take him in the top 10 relievers? No, absolutely not. But you do look at him in that you know 20th plus reliever range as providing tons of positive ex- potential. I don't want to use expected value, but potential value. Um, because, you know, we, we all sort of imagine this, I'm, make, I'm making this sort of bell curve shape, um, you know, where, where we expect a player to be. Um, yeah. Spring training is where you can get those initial hints of the extreme positivity. You shouldn't necessarily expect it but you can suspect it. And that's where the fun becomes, it comes into fantasy baseball because we turn from, you know, sort of uh, understanders into projectors. Key difference there. I dig that. Suspect. I am suspect of everything. I'm always a skeptic. So that has always served me well, especially in fantasy baseball, because you don't want to get caught up in the hype. Right, Blair? Mm-hmm. You know, hype is hype is fun. It, hype drives the commodification of what we do. Uh, yeah, it, but yeah. At the same time, uh, he, I mean, we wouldn't be human if we didn't hype, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but same, I know it's part of being a human being, but it's dangerous yeah. ground, man. When some players like today, another example mm-hmm. of a catch of the day, ridiculous. Josh Palacios. Anybody out there been drafting? Josh Palacios? I doubt it. I doubt it. But he had a monster day at the plate. You know, he drove in five runs. Looks amazing for one day. And that's hype. So people say, woohoo, let's get hype. But he plays for mm-hmm. Toronto, and they're loaded. So you know the reality yeah. is not going to match the hype. But, you know, if you want to hype him, go to town. Have a have at it. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not going to hype him. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, cool. I was just double-checking, so. I didn't think you would, but that's just Over an example. All the way. <laughs> yep, Teoscar Hernandez getting demoted for Josh Palacios. Stay tuned. No, that probably won't happen, but you know. Uh, Good. Our first catch of the day. There's always somebody who's going to stand out every day in spring training, so just enjoy for what it is and give that kid credit because usually it's a youngster. It might even be a veteran, too, an old guy who's been around trying to make that last. You know, Scott Kashmir is in camp. You know, he was signed. He's on a... I think a non-roster invitee deal with the Giants, I think. And so he's, you know, you never know. 
these stories do happen and people start making moves and surprise you and they might give you a roster spot based on a great spring but will it last that's why you want to pump the brakes on hype that's my opinion but blair as you said hype is human to be human is to hype and i have no beef with that to be human is to hype and if uh, if you're the fantasy manager that likes prospects if, if you're the person who already is drafting or wants to draft say Jared Kalenic or whatever Mackenzie Gore you're going to need the Scott Casimir's to get you through April mm-hmm. because ultimately that that's that's what the veterans are there for is to keep the prospects down for a month two months whatever I mean it, we're, we're in COVID season now who knows what happens anymore um but the the supreme veterans who sh- shouldn't I don't. I, that's a very loaded word. Shouldn't be on a roster, who non-logically occupy a spot on the roster, um, are are there to suppress service time, can nonetheless be useful in April, when you know uh, pitchers are still warming up, when hitters are still cold, yep. and your your last <laughs> and you drafted Framber Valdez as your SP three. these things happen it's part of the process you're fortunate Blair at least that you were slow drafting so you could try to adjust your roster on the fly if you're doing a real time one minute clock draft and you drafted Framber Valdez the party was over before you knew it and that's uh, there's this image uh, that our uh, graphic designer Cool Whip always puts it's uh, uh, Spongebob Squarepants making a rainbow with his hands and says, you could use that time to make a better roster and think more about your research. And and that's what you got to do if you're in a slow draft and it's going slow is take your moments of tilting and turn them into moments of advantage because time's the most precious thing we have. And if you can turn it from frustration into productivity, there's nothing better. Amen, brother. Amen. All right. There it is. A little bit of a spring training analysis. You know, take it for what it is. We don't know everything. We don't know what's going to happen, but we try to give you guys some data here on the Hey, it's Rico Palazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We are on Twitter, of course, Palazzo Podcast. Two L's, two Z. Utah. Palazzo Podcast, support.mail.com. Send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget the Palazzo Invitational is still open. The fourth league. The fourth league. Pretty good. It's an NFBC league created specifically for us. So if we can fill up those final spots, there's about five or six spots left in League 4. And once that is filled, the draft will commence. $50. It's a 50-round draft and hold. That's what it is. So you don't have to do a lot of in-season management. Just draft. And then when that's done, it's done. It's a two-hour clock, too, so it's a slow draft. You'll have plenty of time to go over your picks and Delay your picks if you're waiting on spring training outcomes, which some people do, and there's arguments about whether that's cool or not. But, hey, that's not what I'm here for. In the end, we would love to have you guys aboard, and whoever wins the overall of the four leagues will get a big-ass trophy. And who doesn't want a big-ass trophy? And plus, there's money involved, too. So you can have it all. You can have your cake and eat it, too. Go to the link on our Twitter bio. It's right there at the top of the Plaza Podcast, two whales, two Zs, and sign up. Give me two. You could do it right at this moment you're hearing this in real time. You could pause the show if you're listening to the podcast version. Sign up right now or continue to listen while you're signing up, typing in the link, going to their Twitter buyer, Plaza Podcast, two L's, two Z's. Do it. 
It's going to be worth it. Trust me. All right. Let's have some fun now because we've not been having quite enough fun just yet. It's time to go into Enrico's Inquisition. Blair, are you ready for this? I'm absolutely ready. I, I seeded my Twitter timeline with things hoping you would ask me things. Oh, well then. You are a wise man. You've been paying attention. Here we go. Would you prefer to deal with a manipulative person or a callous person? Wow, this is deep. Deep into my psyche. Alan Trammell or Lou Whitaker? Oh, I knew you were going to hit me with that. The 1988 Dodgers or the 2020 Dodgers? Oh, the 1988, by far. It was the happiest moment like of my sports life. That was my first gut moment. Oh, oh Nelly, get ready for some doozies. Because it's time for everybody's favorite part of the show. And... Rico's Inquisition. before this is where we ask questions uh, we put scenarios to the guests we just throw things at a wall and we hope that they stick that's how it works if you've heard the show before then you know how this segment works flair williams is joining us here he's from Razball. he's a very wise man you can follow him on twitter anytime you want to at what is it uh, everywhere blair yeah that's what i thought it was everywhere blair everywhere blair follow him He's a good follow. So if you've seeded your Twitter with some, you know, nuggets, then this will work out well. I'm, I'm actually really impressed that you did that because, <laughs> you know, that's probably do most of my research on this segment. I, I'm not going to lie about it because that's what Twitter is. It's a permanent record of our tastes, our desires, our, our idiosyncrasies, if you will. Our bad jokes. Or just terrible, terrible, god-awful jokes. Yes, that is true. There's no doubt about it. So let's uh, start with an easy one. Uh, Bill Hader or Phil Hartman? <laughs> um, the child in, in me says Phil Hartman. Um, but believe it or not, as much as I use the Stefan gifts, I do not study the comedy of Bill Hader very much. So uh, if I have to choose, I'm going Phil Hartman. Man, that is... I'm so glad I'm not you. I'm glad I'm not you because I don't have to make that choice. That is a difficult, difficult choice. They're so talented, both of them. Both of them are just probably, probably the top five. I might put both of them in the top five all time for my uh, like SNL Mount Rushmore or whatever, or the top four or whatever. I think I probably might do that. Yeah, and I see Carlos is shouting out Phil right now, and uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, absolutely. When you go back to whether it be News Radio, Simpsons, I mean, so many things I can't even name. I'm, I'm not. I mean, I, I work for Gray, who's literally a comedian. It's like my my knowledge of comedy is like a grain of rice compared to him. It's like I, I I'm just a bad guy, bad at sarcasm, and it's like there there are people who know comedy inside out. Like for me, yeah, Phil Hartman. I saw him on TV. There we go. Yep. I I'm wondering how is it being in the league with Danielle? You know, Danielle Salinger is a friend of mine. I'm a big fan of hers. I love what she does. You know, Justin Mason's wife is how I'm, some of you may know her, but she's her own person. She's Mrs. D on Twitter, Danielle Salinger. Shut up. 
What's it like being in the TGFBI draft with her? Any comments? Anything that you could share with her? So, just to give everybody some context, she is also creating, uh, I believe, a blog and even doing some podcasts um, about learning how to play fantasy baseball. Yeah. And in terms of fantasy sports, I'm, I, I, I do baseball, football, and basketball. I think baseball is the hardest to learn. Um, and not only the hardest to learn, but the hardest to uh, do well at, because uh, fantasy football, the rosters are much smaller. Fantasy basketball, um, the quote-unquote stars and scrubs is much more important. So if you get your stars right, your scrubs are less important. But baseball, you have to get a lot of things right, and the rosters are bigger. And particularly the community is much more intense um, in terms yes. of data. The football is much more virulent in terms of just sheer anger. But baseball sort of has this ivory tower complex going on. And um, so what Danielle's been kind of doing is her quote-unquote outsider experience coming into fantasy baseball. And I don't want to speak for her. Of course, you should probably... <gasps> Uh, bring her on the podcast, but um, from my experience with her, because I, I've interacted with her on Twitter, and uh, of course we have our uh, we actually our TGFBI group chat is named Memers and Dreamers because that's basically who we are. Uh, is you know we, we've got uh, Andrew Cooper, Coupe Fiasco from uh, Fantasy Alarm. And, <laughs> I, mean, we, we, I, I can't go without mentioning Hall of Famer Todd Zola. Can't go without mentioning Draft Cheat, um, Eric Segrist. Uh, but ultimately, we, we're kind of this. We're, we're the last league. We're, we're League Twenty Nine of of Twenty Nine, and uh, we're the league that is hosting Danielle. And I, I don't think there could be a better league to be around her and uh, I was super super excited when I learned not only that I was in her league but I'm drafting next to her and uh, so I'm 6th she's 7th and uh, so basically I got to snipe her in round 1 and she gets to snipe me in every single other round and she does her research and in the group chat she explains like oh yeah I've got to put the kid down uh, I'm going to make my choice in the next hour because I'm researching it and I'm going to tell you exactly uh, who I'm taking and it, 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 it's great. So it's really empowering to see somebody who kind of wants to see this uh, aspect of you know, fantasy baseball and not only sort of do it performatively, like anybody can just show up and click on the next person in the queue um, and I, you know to be fair there are there are people who do that in ESPN and Yahoo leaks they just take whoever's next in the queue whatever the ranking says they just take that um, she's not doing that she's uh, doing the quote-unquote hard mode of doing the legwork of research drafting and uh, I mean she's also of course working uh, two jobs and taking care of the kids and all these other things all at the same time 
um, and she's really quite the hero for it. So uh, everybody, go give her a high five on the internet. Stay away from her, you know, until COVID's done. But give her the biggest respect and biggest thanks. Um, and what she does with her blog and future podcasts, share them all around the world. Beautiful. Yeah, she's a friend of the show here, so you can speak for her freely. She won't care. Trust me. Uh, I got no doubts about that at all. We love you, Danielle. And you can check out her pod. I wrote the theme song for her pods that she does with the TGFBI feed, the TGFBI podcast feed. She pops in with uh, Learning Baseball with Danielle. Check it out if you want to get back to basics and really remember what it was like to start from the beginning. Because some of us forget that. She's doing a really good job of doing that. I did it myself and many, many other luminaries more famous and cooler than I'll ever be. I've already done that with Justin Mason and her as well. So it's a really cool, real cool format. And uh, I'm glad she got involved. She was already a part of the community. She just made it official by finally starting to play fantasy baseball. We're talking with Blair here, Blair Williams from Razzball. And we're doing a little bit of Enrico's Inquisition. And the next next one is uh, no effects or bad religion. Uh, you know, I've got a weak spot for NoFX and The Decline. I mean, it was, what, a 20-plus minute punk song? Um, it is. Yeah, it, you know, I mean, it takes me way back because I've, uh, I I tried to seed with Strung Out, and I was hoping you were going to you were gonna go with Strung Out, but NoFX, oh. yeah. Um, I mean, they, they, they were, they're sort of contemporaries right there, you know, sort of that... Sure. Uh, "Quote unquote California." I mean, strung out was California. I can't remember no effects off the top of my brain where they come from. Definitely California. Uh, the whole, all those good, bad religion, no effects, no all that's that SoCal new school yep. punk. Uh, yeah. Fat Mike and Fat Rec, right? Fat Mike and El Jefe was the other main guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, Fat Rec Records, correct? Oh, Fat Rec! Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, yeah. yeah. Fat Rec. Okay, he well, founded Fat Rec. Strung Out was on Fat Records, uh, other bands yeah. that were on Fat Rec, absolutely. And that, that's so cool because Bad Religion is like, they're like statesmen of old punk rock, but they, they also stayed around so long. They're still around to this day, just like oh, yeah. No Effects. And that's why I asked that one. Strung Out was a great, I love Strung Out. I saw them, I've seen them, I don't know, five or six times. And, I love I love them. I always did, but uh, I guess I just wanted to know between those two because they've pretty much made themselves in terms of like you know eighties, nineties, and punk rock. They were the kings of punk rock for the time. Yeah, I, I think I think NoFX was a little bit more willing to break the mold. Um, I mean, you know, they're they're all sort of pop punk, um, but yeah, it, of those two, NoFX. Well. Bad Religion took a major deal, and No Effects never did. And apparently, yep. <laughs> that was like a big faux pas, you know, because Bad Religion sold out in the late '90s because they had Epitaph Records, which was run by you know Brett Gurwitz, who was their founding uh, guitarist. <laughs> they did this song on the one album they did. I don't know if it was one or two, but they did at least one album on the major label, whatever the fuck it was. I don't care what it is. <laughs> <laughs> the song was so terrible. It was called. Fa 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 fa. Let's go. Fa 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 fa. Raise your voice. It was just so lame. It was like not the kind of bad religion I was feeling. But they got back to basics and they've still had an incredible career. <laughs> it was terrible. Oh god. I'm thinking yeah, I mean, I, I remember uh, it was a cold ass. It was like February or March. You know, again, Minnesota. 
uh, I saw Strung Out and um, I was there for a friend and like I, I, I had heard Matchbook which is like Strung Out's most famous song and that, that was basically it and we were front row center we were the first people in line we were there two hours before the next person at the quest in Minneapolis and the uh, I, I was just vaguely slightly taller than my friend and so uh, the strung out front man kept putting the microphone in my face. And I, had, I had no idea what the lyrics were to any of his songs. And my friend <laughs> was right next to me, you know, you're, you're crammed together. I mean, this is a small club. Uh, would just like keep reaching over, you know, I'm shoving my head off camera. And he would keep reaching over, trying to sing the songs. Like, he loves strung out so much. He uh, strung out's uh, symbol was an atom, basically, like a, like a, you know, a, you know, proton, neutron with electrons going around it. He had it tattooed on his heart. <laughs> I mean, that's wow. how much he loved Strung Out. And the, the, the lead singer of Strung Out kept putting the microphone in front of my face. And I was like, I don't know the lyrics. You guys, I kept pointing over and I was like, you, you got to get my friend. <laughs> Him. Shit. Wow. God, that takes me back. I, such a strung out fan. And you're right. If you've never heard the song Matchbook by Strung Out, stop what you're doing right now. Go listen to it. Go to your Spotify, your Apple, whatever the hell you use to listen to music these days. CDs even, if they're out there. Go find that song. Go on YouTube and find Matchbook. It's a great song. Strung Out at their best. It's It was like everything. When we were younger, it meant everything. It was such a unifying and bonding song to our group of friends. And it was like a rallying cry. It was beyond an anthem. It just spoke to us at a certain time in a certain place in life where it all just kind of meshed together like flawlessly, regardless of who we were, what we stood for. It, it was a great song, and it still is a great song. It's a classic, so check it out, and thank me later. Matchbook by Strung Out. Good call, Blair. I'm glad you brought that up. Really glad you brought that up. What about uh, Wham, though? Are you a big Wham fan? Because do you prefer George, George Michael? Michael? Do you prefer George Michael? Or are you more of a, uh, you know, I, I struggle to find a comparison to this one, but I I thought about it for a while, and after some deep thought about who George Michael is and what he stood for, I decided to put him up against Whitney Houston. So Whitney Houston or George Michael? George Michael, 100%. Um, really? I mean, so there, there's, if you, if you look real hard, you can find a video of me, of course, uh, on YouTube playing, uh, you know, to, to, to some of these songs. Um, but George Michael, uh, I, to this day, I mean, I, I, I posted on Facebook. I don't think I posted on Twitter, but, uh, last Christmas is, I honestly, I kid you not the best Christmas song ever. Um, George Michael was, was a phenomenal vocalist. He was, uh, I mean, so many things that, I mean, we all we all kind of know that when you sign up, especially in the '80s, especially in the '90s, for the major label records that you're selling out. And uh, this is not to take away from the amazing skills of Whitney Houston, but yep. sort of the range of male singers in the '80s and '90s that torch that Freddie Mercury had kind of handed off because of his physical decline, suffering from AIDS. George Michael took that up. 
Um, you can see that in many of the duets he did with Elton John and other things like that. Um, he was a phenomenal vocalist. And uh, not only that, but I mean, uh, uh, in terms of his social activism and I mean, ultimately he kind of disappeared from social life in the 2000s because what, in the 90s, he had a, a run-in in you know, a random park where, you know, pre-Tinder, he ended up, you know, trying to date, you know, uh, uh, solicit a cop, ultimately. Yeah. For I remember that. And uh, it just kind of ruined his career. And on, on the spectrum of things that we can look at, of vices that you can do, uh, this incredibly minor vice that so many people were doing with aplomb and celebrating even um there are fetishes around this you know george michael for whatever reason got caught and ultimately kind of his career sacrificed around that um and again it takes nothing away from whitney houston but for me especially having so many glbt friends george michael was such an icon to them and i know how much they meant to him that uh george michael wins that competition Mm-mm-mm. george michael so underrated i agree with you i love whitney houston too but george michael god such a great artist he's a real talent and i'm really sad that his uh his life was cut short the way it was but you know he lived a hell of a life he lived more of a life than you and i have ever lived in our lives blair in his own time frame Trust Absolutely. Me. <laughs> oh, we miss him. What about sliders or curveballs, though? Which one do you prefer? If you're watching GIFs, sliders, because they... Sliders, like, you know, can have, like, this infinite capability of just moving. Um, curveballs, quote-unquote, 12 to 6. It's like, okay, that that's still a limited range. <gasps> sliders, I mean, you can watch sliders, you know end up in the dugout and the tv show <laughs> yeah the tv <laughs> show uh with uh with uh jerry o'connell yeah jerry o'connell <laughs> that's the name oh i i mean yeah. I, i've seen it all but i mean you can watch a good slider end up in the dugout a curveball ends up in the dirt um and you know if you're swinging at a curveball in the dirt that's your own problem if you if you throw a slider that ends up in the dugout wow that, get, that, that gets me every time. Tell me one thing. I never visited Japan. What is one thing I should know about Japan? Not something generic that, you know, you could look up and Google. What's something that I should know about Japan if I ever go there one day? One thing that you should know about Japan, uh, that puts me on the spot, I would say <laughs> <It does>. is <laughs> the... The openness and humanity of the people. And I say this in the context that they, they're uh, people that uh, was basically decimated following World War II and imperialized in the American... Uh, they, they were de- developed as a bulwark of American capitalism following World War II. And in many places in America, you can travel right now and you're met with absolute suspicion. Um, and I say this as basically a, a white Midwesterner who has every privilege. And if, if, if I travel, like, you're still sort of like people watch you and they're like, 
like, oh, I don't trust you. But when you go to Japan, almost without uh, exception, you will be met with at least at the very minimal sort of sort of this friendly tolerance, if not open arms. And uh, of course, it comes with caveats because you know Japan still hasn't had a women's right movement. There's still lots of racism in Japan. But I, I've seen not only to my closest uh, friends who come from all uh, genders, sexualities, races, that the most humble Japanese person will go out of their way to help you. Um, especially if you are ready to uh, reciprocate. And I, I, I sort of, again, I come at this from an academic sort of point of view that I'm, I'm hedging my words right here, is that uh, I want to give an example. Is uh, I lived in Shikoku, which was a the, the fourth island of mainland Japan. If you look at a map of Japan, it's uh, the small little island just south of Osaka and Kobe. And I lived technically what was the town of Takamatsu, but Takamatsu was a lot like Chicago in that it just annexed everything. So Takamatsu was huge and had these ultra rural undeveloped corners. Shikoku was also part of what was called an 88 temple pilgrimage and that they had all these temples that you would in theory move around um, you're supposed to visit 88 of them and you get your little stamp in a book um, I only got to like 30 of them but there was a time where I was uh, transiting between these temples and uh, an older Japanese couple saw me and they said hey you know uh, are you doing this pilgrimage and I said yep you know this is kind of what I do in my free time I try and explore and learn about your culture and they said okay we're going to drive you to the next one and you know I, I was 27 at the time you know white dude if, if you can't see me if you're listening to the podcast I'm as midwestern typical white as you get <laughs> uh, I, was, I was vegetarian at the time so a lot thinner um, and they packed me up in their car and drove me off, you know, to the next temple, which saved me four hours of transit time, you know, using trains. And they, they had no idea who I was. I spoke limited Japanese. I was, you know, this I think my fourth month in Japan. My Japanese was awful. Um, and they, they, they packed me up and they took me to the next spot and brought me there. And that's just one of many, 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 many examples of just showing the hospitality and the humanity of the Japanese people. And uh, I can't can't say enough if that if you go to Japan, you will be helped. Um, so many people from America, Canada, uh, Latin America are so afraid of the language barrier. If you go to Japan, they will help you. Um, go to Yokohama, go to Osaka. Those places are, Yokohama is probably my favorite place in the world. Um, I mean, it's, it's breathtaking. And there, there are just experiences that are indescribable. 
and your love of humanity is just doubled, tripled, exponential when you go. Beautiful. Wow, Blair, thank you for sharing that. That is why we do this show. See, I just learned some stuff. I absorbed it, and it was said with such such genuine, authentic recall, and I appreciate that. Thank you, Blair. Thank you so much. That's great. That's great stuff. God, I've never been to Japan once in my life, and I would really like to go someday. And It's definitely uh, up on the list once COVID ends and my life can go back to normal and I can commence the travel that I have so, so desperately failed to do enough of in my life. Not because of any particular reason, just, you know, you know, life happens. Money, all opportunities. You can't just travel on a whim necessarily. I mean, I guess you could, but it's just, there's a lot of factors that can come into play that prevent people from traveling. I, I was, believe it or not, I, um, when, when COVID first struck in China, uh, ticket prices to Japan plummeted. And I had two tickets for March 2020 to go to Japan because mm. they were the lowest price they had ever been. And so my wife and I were going to go because at that time um, there was still a lot of misinformation about the coronavirus that was coming about. And it turns out sure. that not only China, but Japan and the United States were all kind of uh, hiding the fact that this is an incredibly virulent disease. And so I, I remember uh, basically one year ago, what, March 5th, I mean, I was supposed to go, I think, March 16th, 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point, nearly a year ago, I was supposed to be going back to Japan for the first time in five years. Um, my best friend lives in Yokohama. And, uh, you know, I was so excited to see him. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I, I have to wait longer. And, you know, fortunately, there, there's what we call, of course, uh, rain checks. So we've got, you know, a lot of rain checks with Delta Airlines. And hopefully when uh, COVID is solved or, you know, at least mitigated, I should say, uh, I can go back and see my best friends and experience Japan again. Fabulous. You know, some people don't get to travel because of financial reasons, others because of responsibilities, so on and so forth. Excuses pile up, legitimate reasons pile up, and people have a hard time changing their ways. And Next thing you know, your whole lifetime goes by, and you miss out on so much. This world is massive. It's not small. Even though the world is small in terms of the overall size of the universe and the galaxy and all that stuff, it's still a big place. And there's so many great people to meet and cultures to experience and different ways of how people do things. I, I look forward to that. I always do. But some people say, you know what, you know. And you want me to change? They don't want to change. So it's up to them to do so. But you can travel. You can make it a priority. Once COVID ends, of course, I mean that very sincerely. But you can make it happen. Don't uh, don't limit yourself. That's my little, my little plea to you out there in Palazzo land or wherever the hell you are. This is the Hazel Rico Palazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We're talking with Blair Williams from Razzball. And Blair is... In Rico's Inquisition, we're going to wrap this segment up so we can move on from it. But uh, I got to ask, bass or drums? Uh, drums, uh, 100%. I don't know if you saw me. I got in a discussion with one of my Twitter friends about bass being uh, the uh, the instrument that whoever's worst at guitar takes up in the band. <laughs> um I mean, so, so the, true. To give your listeners background, um, 
I, I know you just <laughs> talked to Yancey, who was uh, apparently a very skilled drummer. And then yeah, I think he was like in drumline and shit. Yeah, and then there's like you and me who are like, you know, musicians who are like yeah. do everything. Like I, I play guitar. The answer is I my basic guitar setting is is open C. There you go. That's all you need to know about me. I play my guitar in open C. Um, but drums I played um, starting I think age thirteen, and I, I got up to like university jazz band. And I, I failed. I, I was in university jazz band for a year, and I failed out of it because I discovered punk music. That was the year that I learned about, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> strung out and no effects and all these other things. And I went into my jazz audition for the second year, and it was just awful because I was just banging. Um, <laughs> but like uh, 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 drums, I, I, I get it from the musician standpoint like if you're if you're thinking about jazz and you're listening to like the aristocrats which is you know not only a, a bad joke but like a good jazz band too um if you're looking if you're listening to an authentic good bass player yeah i get it and i should say as a guy who loves music the first thing i do when i get a new pair of headphones is fix the bass because that makes the music but as a musician, if you have a bad drummer, your album is toast. If you have a bad bass player, you're probably just a standard rock band. <laughs> I mean, let, let, let's be fair. As, as I grew up, I was a huge fan of the Smashing Pumpkins. Just, you know, Roots, Roots and Fives, the basic bass notes that you could play in the Smashing Pumpkins led to you know one of the biggest bands of the 90s yep. um, Darcy and, yep and, and it was backed by of course Jimmy Chamberlain one of the most fantastic drummers in the 90s um, but of course the best drummers are the ones you don't even notice because they're playing uh, exquisitely and they're playing in a manner that you don't necessarily hear but you feel and when you feel a drummer doing the wrong beat you know it <laughs> you do yep as a guy who's played bass and drums yes i understand exactly what you mean there's also a kinship though between bass and drums in my opinion because they are the rhythm most of the time and if you get two that understand each other you can you can really make an elite not elite music, but like really crafted, well done, technical, and beautiful music when a bassist and a drummer combine to like get on the same page and just start on their own flow. Yeah, I mean, you, they're they're absolutely tied together. I mean, the first lesson of any band is the drummer follows the bass, right? And if you're not following the bass, you're creating dissonance. If the bass player is just rooting and fiving and occasionally putting in the, the, the third to make the major chord, it's super easy. The drummer just kind of thumps on the bass drum, plays two and four, and is done with it. When things get messy and you start getting into quote-unquote prog rock, that's when things get interesting 
Uh, and especially like, you know, I, I, I think the, the most low key progressive music right now is, you know, the YouTube lo-fi hip hop channel. <laughs> um, really? Yeah. Because you, you got this quote unquote, uh, instrumental hip hop, which oftentimes is based on jazz bass, but simple hip hop like Casio beats. Boop. Boop. And it because that that's supposed to calm you and it's supposed to like touch this you know part of your brain that just calms you and sets you on ease. But at the same time, you sort of hear this lively bass when done properly. Of course, I think bass can of course supersede the drums. But I think in the majority commodified music world, hundred percent drums beat the bass. There it is. There it is. I just found out about something. I didn't even know what it was. Lo-fi hip-hop. I'm going to have to check that out now. I, Gosh, you think you know a lot about music, and then you find there's more and more and more and more and more. So I can dig that. Thank you. You're giving me more to build upon. And as a drummer who's played, uh, you know, I played a fair amount of years. I love the drums, and I love playing bass. They really are my two passions. I could play guitar, but I, like you said, I don't play guitar well enough to be the guitarist in a band. That's why I would be the bassist. And I also just liked it. I just love playing bass. When I sing and play bass together, those are great combos. I, I feel like I'm a part of the whole thing. And I don't know. It's it's hard to describe sometimes. I I love the drums, but the bass has really grown, grown on me tremendously in the last 10 to 15 years. It's just so vital to enjoyable music, in my opinion. Yeah, and I mean, just to, just to tie things back, like, I, you know, in my last class I taught... Uh, um, you know, I, I asked my students, I, I, I should say, I was teaching about Japan. I asked my students, you know, create your own final, basically. And somebody wanted to write about a Japanese song. He's writing you know, about the key of C and stuff like that. And a lot of people don't realize that uh, C, when you're playing music, is the, is if you're looking at a piano, it's all the white keys. You don't need to touch any of the black keys to play in the key of C. Um, and it's it's simple. But it also has this resonance between C and G, uh, the first and the fifth, the C and the G, um, and which is why I choose that for playing guitar as well, because you can C G, I should say, your tuning is C G C G C G E. Um, I might have done an extra C G there, um, but the, uh, the the point is is that you are doing these chords that, or I should say, notes that resonate with each other and build off each other and C and G are unlike basically any other notes than when they're heard by the human ear and they just resonate with us not only acoustically but they do at a deeper level in terms of your brain um, and ultimately when you hear those notes uh, you hear them in the music of uh, Devin Townsend you hear them in uh, uh, why am I blanking Robert Rip, um, uh, is that guy who Tool emulates? Of, of tool course, emulates. you know it's right. When I, yeah, of course, right uh, when I'm on the podcast, I blank. Uh, King Crimson, okay, there we go. King Crimson, new standard tuning, there we go. Um, oh. But uh, you, you, you sort of you, you can bend your instruments in so many different ways. You can tune your drums in so many different ways. Uh, that okay. it, it's not just you know quote unquote music like you record it 
and you know it's not not to take anything away from just like recording something like you said you recorded something for danielle's um but like when you not only record something but like touch somebody beyond their frontal cortex like deep down into their brain something primal it changes them it does that's the power of music that's why covid sucks another reason covid sucks i love playing with people i love connecting with people in real time it's great john fish hit the road see you john bye john always a pleasure to have you around john that's why covid has taken more from us because i could be playing every week with friends of mine and I can't do a Zoom jam. I'm not going to do one of these Zoom jams that I saw were popular for a minute, like when the Rolling Stones, they all play together on Zoom. I mean, that sounds, I don't know. It doesn't sound the same to me, but that's my opinion. There's nothing yeah. like when you're in person with people and you're grooving and you you don't know what they're going to do necessarily. You're learning songs. And I'm talking about creating music too, like not cover songs and thing like, things like that. When you jam, as they say. It's a, quite an experience, man. It's pretty cool. Yeah, the first time I learned the blues was honestly yeah, in a Japanese bar. Oh, really? Um, so, I mean, so here, here's... I, I know we got to get to the next topic, and Brock is sitting here asking. What's our band's name, by the way? Yeah, he wants... <laughs> um, we're we're going we're gonna to call it, you know, the uh, two L's, two Z's, two P's, two A's. <laughs> we'll call it the Blair Mike Project. Blair Mike Project. The first, I mean, so... In Japan, you know, the, the train stopped going at midnight, which is you know close enough to now. Um, if you do not make it to the train at midnight, you got to stay out all night or pay $100, $200 for the taxi. So uh, one of the times I was there doing my research for my book, Making Japan's National Game, um, I was out of this bar and I was there with a friend. A lot of L's, but I will allow it. Thanks, Brock. Um I was out of this bar with a friend, and of course we missed last train, so we had to stay out, and we go to a British bar, and there's a Japanese guy who brought his guitar, and uh, we, we had known we were going to play, um, and so we had practiced a couple uh, <laughs> propaganda songs, of all things, oh. that we were going to play, um, and uh, a couple drinks in, this Japanese guy comes over to me with his guitar, and he's like, do you know the blues? I'm like, you know... I don't know the blues. Look at me. And he's like, I'm going to teach you the blues. And it's 1 a.m. in the middle of like a Japanese, you know, Tokyo suburb, Saitama. And uh, I, that's where I learned the blues. It's literally in a Tokyo suburb. Um, and so, I mean, ultimately, you know, the, the whole thing we're talking about here, whether it be fantasy baseball or music, is that uh, we have these human experiences, not just, you know, talking about stats, but talking about what makes us you know people with hearts that beat and get excited and stuff like that sure. uh, and baseball is just the thing that starts the conversation and gets things rolling well said yes Blair did write a book I'm so glad you brought that up we should have been mentioning that at the beginning Blair come on you gotta promote yourself better remind people again where they can find your book uh, you got you got to remember, I'm an academic. The reason that you know I'm e- even here in the first place is because I can't promote myself. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, Forgot um, about that. Yeah, I'm technically Dr. Blair Williams, uh, quote unquote PhD. Um, wow. Graduated 2018 from University of Minnesota, uh, master from Iowa State. But you can get my book, Making Japan's National Game: A Cultural History of Baseball in Japan. 
uh, either from Amazon. You can search that name right there again, making Japan's national game. Um, or if you find me on everywhere, Blair at you know, Twitter, I have it as my link in my bio straight from the publisher. In theory, we're supposed to have it on bookshop.org for all you independent bookshop shoppers. Um, it should be out there eventually, but you know, Amazon, it's priority. So that's where it is. Making Japan's National Game, a book by Dr. Blair Williams. Do not miss this wonderful book. You're listening to NPR. I'm Terry Gross. No, we're not going to do that. But seriously, go buy Blair's book. Guy loves baseball, and he knows baseball, and he knows Japan pretty well. He's got a lot of experience with the two, so I figure there's going to be some value there. I have not bought your book, so I'm an asshole right now. I should buy your book. That's okay. I'm telling people to buy it. I haven't bought it either. You know, I just got a free shipment, so... Um, but you know, it's, it's one of those things like it took, it took me eight years of writing and lots of sacrifice and uh, all, all the shebang and you can bring yeah. me on the other pod and I'll talk all about it. Um, but honestly, for, for, uh, for the, the takeaway for fantasy baseball listeners right now who have been so patient listening through my talk of no effects and propaganda and things to listen to, uh, when you go to Japan is, uh, the valuation of people coming from Korea and Japan is not nearly as uh, effective as you think it is because ultimately uh, a 27 year old coming from Korea is not being valued the same as an 18 year old from whatever Arkansas Mm -hmm. because the 18 year old will work for basically nothing. And the 27 year old from Korea is going to work for several million dollars a year. Um, So uh, there's there's always that bias when people are like, oh yeah, what Haseon Kim is coming over this year from Korea. Uh, it's, it's awful for me to be put on the spot. I, I don't know the Japanese players who came over. Kohei Arihara, Arihara. Texas Rangers. Um, I'm excited it, about him, actually. So. Yeah, it, it's one of those things like when you look at the spectrum of the Japanese players who have come over, and I come from this from a historical perspective, is that the majority of them, the bulk of them, have not performed well, but those who do, do perform well, which is the exact same statement that I can make of any minor leaguer. You can name any random. Yes. I mean, I think there's 40 Japanese people have come over. Um, you can say that about any minor leaguer that, you know, here, there, there's, there's a, a fine troll on Twitter who loves... Wander Javier of the Minnesota Twins. Um, you're, I'm, I'm going to get quote tweets about this. Wander <laughs> Javier cost the Twins $4 million in 2015 or 2016 to sign. I don't think he's broken the top 30 prospects on the Twins. And at, at the same draft class produced Juan Soto... And you don't even need to name anybody else. No, that's it. Fernando Tatis. The Twins have <laughs> all these players. I still hear people talk about Wander Javier. Like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen soon. Yeah, it's going to happen. Yeah, I think he hit like 190 or something in his last year. So, um, yeah. So, it's one of those things that when we apply that to Korea and we apply that to Japan, it, it, it's the same 
metrics and the same likelihood that they're going to succeed, but oftentimes they want to succeed for more, more money than, say, somebody from the Dominican Republic or somebody from uh, Arkansas will play for. And so it doesn't work out necessarily. Uh, and yep. we, we read that in the wrong way. And that's that's the very long and short fantasy baseball takeaway from my book, which I do not talk about in my book. The end. <laughs> okay. That's important to know. Thank you for clarifying that. But what about this question? Do you think college will be free for my three-year? Great pod, says Zytor. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Zytor. Um, no. Uh, no. Being, being in academia, um, Never. Th- this is for an entire another pod where we can uh, talk about, uh, as you talked about on your uh, first day pod, with MLB moving averages. No, uh, oh, yeah. these are uh, investment banks, basically, and there's not going to be free college. Nope, not in this uh, not in this lifetime for damn sure, and maybe yeah. a couple lifetimes after that. It's only gotten more expensive over the last 40, 50 years. We all know the story there. Sorry, Richard. I would love for you to have some free college. I think that would be great, but uh, this is reality, and unfortunately, me and Blur are living in it, and you are in reality with the, hey, it's Rico Palazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast, which is on Twitter. Palazzo Podcast at ProtonMail.com is the email. Palazzo Podcast on Twitter, two L's and two Z's. Utah, give me two. We have to close this segment by saying... Blair Williams. For love or money? 100% love. I mean, my my phone background is love and be loved. Um, I mean, when when you're looking at it, it's, uh, I mean, money is a transient thing. Uh, You need to understand money to survive in the world. You need to understand love to survive as a human. Mm. And, and you know, I mean that that again. That's for your other pod: surviving in the world versus surviving as a human. Uh, oh. One is tied to hope, and the other is tied to survive. You can guess which one. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! Thank you, Blair. For love or money, closes out Enrico's Inquisition. It's in the can. Blair was very forthright with us. Man, we covered a lot in that segment. Wow, that was. This is like a is this even a fantasy baseball pod? I'm not so sure. Uh, <laughs> it's all kinds of shit. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I won't have it any other way. This is what we do here. This is what we do, and it's who we are. Blair Williams. You can find him at Razball, by the way. He's on Twitter at Everywhere Blair. And don't forget the Palazzo Invitational. Sell so the spots open. You can fill those spots by going to our Twitter bio, click on the link, and sign up, and you can compete for that big ass trophy. Go for the gold. Take it. Never give up. Uh, Brock says, only caught the end, but that was great. Blair is awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Brock. Appreciate the kind words. It really means something. Brock and Blair. Those are two Brock and Blair. Blair and Brock. And uh, congratulations to Brock and I believe Maddie Wood and uh, some other people I do not know at the FTN podcast for defeating the Rasball podcast in uh, the Baseball Pods (laughs) podcast tournament or whatever it's called yeah <laughs> baseball pods fantasy baseball bracket bracketology yeah. thing yes yeah we uh were defeated soundly yesterday by bubba and Batflip crazy toby so we're done that was a good run we expected to lose and we should lose to them they have you know this is how it goes you pay your dues and they've paid their dues already they're advanced they've been around longer than they have and they do great content so by all of those factors alone we have no business moving forward so we salute them and we wish them all the best. 
And we thank Chris for putting that on. He always does great work with that. He's trying to expose other podcasts, not just the ones that we already know. So thank you. Lots of love for the Rasball team from Brock. He's digging it. Matt Cupferly too. Yeah, that's right. From the FTN pod who defeated the... Pl- the just, I didn't know... This is going to sound bad. I didn't know there was a Rasball pod. You know, that, that's the weird thing about Rasballs. They're, they're not uh, awesome on social media and like advertising stuff. And I mean, they have two different baseball pods. There's the Gray and Ralph Lifshitz pod. And then uh, there's the Donkey Teeth and uh, B-Don pod. So oh. there's two of them. Um, and, uh, you know, they, 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 they just they don't like to advertise. They just do. Um, because as uh, Rudy points out, is like we, we don't do our speaking on pods. We do our speaking with our tournament results. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Ouch. Well, yeah. I've, I've, I apologize to the whole Razzball community for not being more engaged with your podcast. That's something I need to rectify. So, I hope they'll forgive me. All right. Wow. Holy crap. I can't believe we've already been on for this long. This has been fascinating. Damn. Time flies when you when you listen to people who know what they're saying and have kind of a passion for what they're talking about. You can really get engrossed in conversations. And, you know, as a former teacher, I should have a better grasp of time. I should always know what time it is and how much time I have to complete a task. Because when you're teaching, that's all you think about. You got to be like, all right, I got 90 minutes for this class and I got to get it done. And sometimes when we're doing these podcasts, especially with a guy like Blair, I just lose track of time. So. That's that's my bad. I'll take responsibility for that. There's no deary here either, so uh, we're just kind of doing our own thing. I just kind of feel like we're hanging out somewhere in the middle of nowhere having our own conversation, Blair. It's kind of cool. I, I'm cool with that, however long you want to go. Um, yeah, well, we're going to have to cut some things out here. Um, I do, you know, we always do like a show rundown. I have all these ideas, and uh, I want to get you on the record. So let's just... Uh, Let's just skip ahead to Shine and Ride the Pine because I, I love doing this segment because it also boosts up other people's projections. And I want to get you on the record because we're not going to have you back on before the season starts. I want to get yeah. some of these in the can. So what do you say to that, Blair? Yeah, let's shine the pine, right? <laughs> let's shine that pine. Yes. Get the old uh, pine saw out. Rub it up. Get that pine shining. That's right. Shine and Ride the Pine is a game we play where I give a projection to our guest, and our guest decides whether or not they will shine it or they ride the pine on it. And since Rotofanatic now has their own projections available on rotofanatic.com, guess what? We're going to use those projections. What a shocker. Mind blown. What do you say, Blair? Are you ready for this or not? Let's do it. Woohoo! Okay. Go to roadfanatic.com. You can follow along by looking at the projections that we have available on our website. Crosby Spencer made them happen. Shout out to Crosby. He's my guy. Let's see what Crosby gives us. All right. First one, right off the bat. Alex Bregman. He's a Houston Astro. He's known as the number two overall pick in the MLB draft many moons ago, but he's also known for a cheating scandal involving trash cans. Kind of a bummer. Mm Mm-hmm. But Crosby has him penciled in for 32 home runs this year. Shine or ride the pine on 32 bombs? I already gave you the heads up that I'm, of course, comparing to uh, Razzball because they know a lot more than I do. Um, so, I mean, and I'm, you know, not only doing that, but I'm comparing to fan graphs. Um, but you also have your own instinct. You, you've been around. Well, you know the game. 
And so, I mean, so I've got my instinct. I've got my screen over here. The thing about uh, Alex Bregman, 32 bombs. I'm going to... I'm going to ride the pine on that. Mm. Um, and, and that that was, that was a big, that was a big thinker. Um, <laughs> I mean, so it, 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 honestly, it's a push. Um, but if I had to choose, if I had to coin flip, I'm going to ride the, there pine are no pushes here. So it's at least yeah, no 32 push. or more. You got to you gotta make a choice. So I'm going to ride the pine on that. I'm going to say under 32. Um, Steamer has him at 32. Uh, Gray's got him at 29. Ah. And in the great spectrum of things, if if you're if you're the casual fantasy baseballer, sure, 32, that's fine. Yes. If you are the elite baseballer, where 32 versus 29 matters, I mean that's a 10 percent difference, right? Basically, three. Yes. Yeah. That's a 10 percent difference. I'm gonna go on the ride the pine on that because you know Bregman wasn't nearly as stellar as he was last you know I should say in 2020 minus the trash cans wasn't as great as he could have been um yeah, it was a short season though I mean he was injured who cares yeah. 2020 does, is not indicative of who he is as a player but exactly um but it was the first season post scandal so yeah um so honestly speculation I'm going to keep him under 32 I haven't been drafting Bregman uh, I'm not excited to draft him I, I don't know a lot of people who are excited to draft him <laughs> he's more or less sort of that that place like if you see him at value you draft him but I don't know of anybody who's like jumping out as the Bregman stand. And I, I, I'm going to let this, the the social environment kind of manage that one right there. We were talking about hype earlier in the show, Blair. Yes, there's no hype for Alex Bregman this year. It is long gone, as they say. Uh, it's too bad. I'm sorry, Mr. Bregman. I will tell you this. Doing the triple play podcast that I did the other day where we're breaking down our TGFBI drafts. One of the drafts, Bregman went went as low as 55. Now, to me, that is just, that's a steal. That's a good deal at 55. That is too low for a guy who could give you 30 home runs, you know, hit 290, drive in 100-plus runs, score 100-plus runs. He could do everything except steals. I wouldn't expect a lot of steals from him, but 55 is nice value comparative to ADP. But I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna join you. I'm gonna ride the pine out as well. I, I, that was a really tough one for me because Crosby's got me right at the barometer, the the middle level there, and I couldn't decide myself. But I think he might hit 30 home runs, but that's not 32, so that's where I go with that. All right, let's try another one here. Oh, I forgot to ask you this earlier, Blair. Uh, this is the official fantasy baseball podcast of Russell Crowe, and uh, so it's every hand to his rope or gun. Quicks the word and sharps the action. After all, surprise is on our side. <laughs> uh, Master and Commander or Survivor? Which one do you prefer? I forgot to ask you that. I have to ask you that. Uh, I mean, you know, Survivor is pretty much garbage, but it, it, <laughs> honestly, what better explanation of our 
culture than Survivor. I mean, just commodification of survival of the fittest. <laughs> you know, who, whoever can do the dumbest things for the longest survives. Um, I mean, so just by that, I'm going to go with Master and Commander. <laughs> yes! Doug Ishikawa, take that. You're not going to like hearing that, but hey. You, that was the finest breakdown of Master and Commander versus Survivor that we have had yet. I love that. That was really well done. All right, let's try another one here because we're doing Shine or Ride the Pine. I don't want to mix up our segments. The audience could become confused. Mark Canna of the Oakland A's. You've Ooh, heard of him? He's an outfielder. Yeah. Yeah. He's a... Well, there's some talk he might hit leadoff, but odds are it'll be Ramon Laureano. Mm-hmm. But, um, he's come on the last couple of years and been a solid producer. Could we expect Mark canna to have an obp of 366 or better 366 366 mm-hmm. i mean so i'm not gonna pretend again like i i have everything about the oakland athletics memorized i'm pulling up his stats right now obp uh 2019 396 2020 387 15 walk rate 2020 Thirteen and a half percent walk rate, twenty nineteen. Uh, consistent K percentage, consistent Babbitt, whoever you know, however we want to pronounce that. Uh, Three six six OBP was what you gave me, right? Shine around the pine. I'm gonna shine that. I mean, his he's looking like he's exceeding that. The projections by the Every major projection has that as the under. But, I mean, we're looking at consistent walk rate. And, you know, my, my good buddy Cool Whip is messaging me right now with lots of suggestions. <laughs> but, I mean, we're looking at, honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm looking through his Fangraphs page right now, and I'm seeing you know, a little bit of fluctuation in his power but not necessarily fluctuation in how he approaches things. Um, I mean, am I personally drafting Kenna as, like, anything? Very, very, very late. Uh, I, I can't say in whether a home league or a tournament league I have ever drafted him on purpose. Mm. I have never. Um, but when we're looking at, I mean, basically positive weighted runs created plus since 2018 on, I'm not going to be angry at you if you take that late. Um, I mean, we're looking at, again, uh, especially if you're in OBP league, points leagues, yeah. I won't be angry yes. at you if you're taking yes. him as your corner infielder. Yeah. There you go. So you're going to shine this. I'm shining that. I'm going to join you on this shine. Mark Hanna has a great value regardless. Particularly great in OBP and points leagues. He gets bumps. He gets on base, walks, has great plate discipline with his approach, as Blair mentioned. But I actually like him to maybe have his best year yet. If he's going to be hitting high up in that lineup and get the opportunity to do so. It could be a banner year for him in all phases except batting average. Don't rely on him so much for batting average, but everything else, I, I dig it. I like it. Give me some Mark Canna. 
Woohoo! We're talking with Blair Williams here in the Shine or Ride the Pine segment where we put it to him. We make decisions on projections. These projections are provided by rotofanatic.com. That's right. I am one of the owners of rotofanatic.com, so it's obvious I'm trying to push a product, but they've been created by Crosby Spencer. Make sure you follow Crosby on Twitter. Check him out. He's really, really smart when it comes to data analysis and deep, deep analytics, how to create your own spreadsheets, how to create your own formulas for expected stats. He's kind of a whiz. He's kind of a big deal, as they like to say. Let's see. How about this fella? Giancarlo Stanton. Yep. Giancarlo but Stanton. Over under 20 games, right? <laughs> Shit. Uh... Is this a pointless uh, exercise then, since he's always hurt? Because is it really a matter of, like, how many games we will play more than any particular stat that he will produce? I, you know, um, I I have him in a home league. So I, I'm somewhat oh. invested in his incredible ability to smash a ball. <laughs> well... What do you say then? To 30 home runs. Shine or ride the pine. Uh, I mean, I, I can look at my screen next to me as much as I like, and it's it's not going to help because <laughs> do not draft, as Zitor says. Um, Stanton, of course, as uh, I mean, let, let, let's put it out there for the podcast crew. Uh, what, 18 plus 23, what that's... 41 uh, games that he's played in the past two years. Uh, previous to that, he basically played two full years, 2017, 2018. Um, what we're at at this point is what, you I mean, we're, we're, we're all kind of peddling things. Gray says is a coin flip. The way, the way he describes it as, is like you have the projections of somebody you need to take the person out of it and just put the projections in. If you look at the projections, absolutely sure. I'm looking over here and I see from the bat to the ATC to steamer, uh, 39, 36, 37 home runs. Uh, I should say 30, 39 from steamer. We're, we're, we're seeing home run productivity. That's what Gene Carlos Stanton does. Yep. Can he stay healthy, which is something he has not shown to do? I, am I Nostradamus? I, I, I'm not able to say that. Um, the, of course, Cool Whip's <laughs> texting me right now, and he's like, oh, yeah, of course, Stan's great. Cool Whip, yeah, he's got 200 followers. I don't know how anybody in the world is not following Cool Whip, RB. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Uh, I'm definitely following him. He knows that. Let's get that up. Let's get that up to 250 by the end of the weekend. Come on. 250 by the end of the weekend. It's like, am am I Nostradamus? No, I'm not. I can't predict if somebody's going to be hurt, if somebody's going to be not able to to perform at their full ability. Gets into, you know, a full spectrum of pain and play. If he ends up on the positive side of being able to play and being able to get back to the, as I'm seeing in 2017, 2018, 700 plate appearances each of those years. Mm-hmm. Like, 
mind exploding. Seven hundred plate experience, er, plate experiences, plate appearances, experiences. Um, yeah, they're like uh, experiences too. <laughs> like, I mean, that that's stunning for a guy who I, I believe still holds the record for exit velocity. Um, absolutely, you can get into uh, one of the thirties uh, for home runs, and I would shine it. Am I able to say that he will be healthy? No, I'm not able to say that. So, if I were to say to the industry corner who's listening to this, uh, people who are playing in the NFC, of course, invest at him in a reasonable amount. If you are a casual player in your home league or what have you, ESPN, Yahoo!, Make sure you're not overdrafting him, but at the same time, don't look at him as like the savior to your home run needs because there mm-hmm. are Anthony Santander's coming in later, Fran Mill Reyes is coming in later, who are half the draft capital of a Stanton, so to speak, um, who are going to produce just as well. Absolutely. I'm going to shine this, believe it or not. I just believe that he can't be hurt forever. There will be a time in this world, in this realm, where Giancarlo Stanton will be healthy. And this could be that year. So that's all it is. It's just pure speculation on the fact that he can't be hurt perpetually for another year. That's it. Yep. And at a certain point, as fantasy baseballers, we got to trust that. Um, Because... Human humans perform. Humans heal. Humans get better. Yeah, we we've all seen the back of a baseball card where we have a lost year or a lost two years or a lost three years. And right now, at that point for Stanton, I think we're all flipping that coin, and I'm making coin flip motion for all you podcasters later. Mm-hmm. Um, does it land on healed? Or does it land unhurt? And that, that, that's the choice you got to make. That's all it is. Yep. You know, Ken Griffey Jr. had that stretch where he was hurt for many years in a row. 2002, 70 games. 2003, 53 games. 2004, 83 games. And then in 2005, he was able to play in 128 games and give you 35 bombs. And yeah. you're like, all right, cool. He's yeah, back. That, that's an exceptional comparison. So, you know, these, it's possible, but it could be. It could be one more year of injuries, too. So that's where we're at with this guy right now. Just remember that you're rolling the dice. And like like Blair said, don't put too much risk. Don't expose yourself so much that you don't have, you know, a backup plan. Or he should be like your backup plan or maybe a double-double backup plan. So yeah. That's how I would look at that. Very cool. Good idea. Good call. I like that. I like the way your mind thinks, Blair. It's very radical. He's a radical dude. And we're talking about... Shadow Red the Pine. Our next victim is Nick Castellanos of the Cincinnati Reds. Cincinnati has a very pro-offensive stadium. That's a good way to put it. And with Nick Castellanos, you get usually get batting average. So there's not really an issue there, but sometimes it doesn't come through. In 2021, Blair, can we expect Nick Castellanos to hit 292 or better this year? 292 or better. Um, I mean, I think the first thing, just to walk through, like, 
your your listeners on the podcast and you know on the stream here as I'm scrolling down on fangraphs.com and I'm going to his plate discipline discipline uh, I'm looking at basically his 2018 2019 where he uh, achieved that goal that you're talking about was it 282 correct 292 292 um, and then 2020 where he did not achieve that. Um, I'm trying to look at basically the discrepancies between the numbers between 2018, 2019, and 2020. And again, we, we all kind of forgive 2020 as, uh, I mean, you know, COVID and the delayed start. And in some... And, you know, some people were also told, you know, to, to bat differently. And I'm seeing Castellanos, 2020, swinging strike rate, 16.6, a full percent higher than it was in 2018, 3% higher than it was in 2020. Um, that is, of course, unnerving. We're looking at a precipitous drop in his overall contact and his zone contact and, uh, you know, full-fledged contact basically by a factor of 10 to 20 percent almost each year. Um, That's not great. It doesn't get (laughs) me excited. (laughs) Uh, We scroll up and just kind of, I think it's sort of interesting ethnographically from my point of view to see like, here's what I do when I look at this. Will he make 292? I see every major projectionist going ride the pine on that. Mm. I see um, his power maintaining. In fact, we could probably see a really good power because his ISO has maintained, if not actually increased. Um, it's increased by a factor of nearly 30% each year. Wow. And that's, that's actually wrong, 15%. Each okay, year. I was going to say, that would be pretty tense. <laughs> yeah, 2018 to 2020, it's a factor of 30%. So we can see him sort of translating into a power hitter that hits for less average but from 298 in 2018 to 20, 289 2019 to 225 with you know kind of a substandard BABIP in 2020 yep. for me I'm going to ride the pine on that that was very well thought out clear clear rationale behind all of your analysis there but I'm going to shine it I think that Nick Castellanos is going to have his finest year as a pro. This is the time. Everybody thought it was going to be last year. The only reason I'm saying this is because everybody thought it would be in 2020. When I say everybody, a lot of people out there with big mouths saying, hey, Nick Castellanos for MVP this year. He's with the Reds year one. It didn't go that way, but it might go away. It might go down this year. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying he'll be the MVP, but I think he can easily eclipse 292. If he hits 297, that's gold. So I'm taking it, shining it. All right. Yeah, why not? Let's have some dissension, some disagreement here, you know? That's Let's where we some make hot... activity. Yeah, you want 
You want to start doing some hot takes? You know, you take one side, I'll take the other. It doesn't matter what the question is. I've got hot takes. You know that. (laughs) Oh, what a world we live in. It's media driven and we're all just trying to survive. All right, let's try another fella playing Major League Baseball. We're doing Shine to Ride the Pine. We're deciding whether we're going to shine and take the projection we're given or we're going to ride the pine. Hmm, this is tough because, you know, there's so many guys that I we have looked at. I'm trying to avoid repetitive ones, but we've never done them with Blair either, so it's also a fresh take at the same time. That's a conundrum that I run into when we do these. So why don't we try a guy like Austin Meadows? The Tampa Bay Rays. His ADP dropped significantly from 2020 going into this 2021 season. Can we expect Austin Meadows to give us a 264 or better batting average this year? I know you talked to Yancey about Austin. Yancey! Yep. Yep. Mr. Yance, soft ice cream. And that, that, that's a great story behind that. I'm surprised you did not ask him about the soft ice cream. <laughs> I, did, I, I missed that one. Uh, the, the worst uh, worst insult leveled upon a human being in the history of insults. Is, wow. He was, of course, called soft ice cream. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I know you talked about uh, your favorite Tampa Bay Rays with Mr. Mayor of Fantasy Baseball, Yancey. Um, and Austin Meadows I believe was a shine for him if I remember correctly Um, so again I'm going to move down just to kind of discuss with your uh, podcast listeners I'm taking sort of the fan graphs I'm looking at his plate discipline Um, I'm seeing contact percent uh, reduce year upon year uh, I'm seeing his swing strike rate increase uh, 2018 7% 8.9% 2019 12.5% 2020 Hmm. I'm seeing his swing percentage increase uh, 4% from 2019 to 2020 so what I'm reading, I'm just kind of describing to you as you know an amateur projectionist again. I'm seeing him swinging more, missing more, and making less contact. So when I'm looking at sort of the consensus uh, projections, and you gave me, I believe, in the 260s, correct? Michael? 264. 264. I'm going to ride the pine on that. Wow. Wow. I'm surprised. Uh, I'm going to shine it. I got to shine it. Mm-hmm. I just feel like he's a better player than 264 hitter. And I'm dismissing 2020. I'm throwing it out. I'm throwing mm-hmm. out the rule book and saying, yeah, don't worry about 2020. What I saw in 2019 is what I like. But you also just described a reduction in contact. Um, that does give me pause. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I think I think this speaks more broadly, not not just to projections uh, of Rotofanatic, but projections as a whole. Is that ultimately we're we're it's like predicting the weather, right? You know, we 
we we have a fair idea, and this is what I described. You know, just speaking of rats, rat slam, like uh, we're projecting people for a bell curve, and you know, for your visual viewers, I'm making a you know sort of a a, a, a lump shape with my hands right now. And if you don't know what a bell curve is on the podcast, you can you can look it up um, where they should be, and there's of course where they possibly could be as well bad mm-hmm. and good uh we saw austin meadows what 287 in 2018 291 in 2019 and 205 batting average in 2020 uh his strikeout percentage jumped 10 percent in 2020 and again 2020 was an awful year everybody 2020 has been a huge debate amongst projectionists what do we do with that do i get the pay grade to figure that out? No, I don't get the pay grade of that. Like I said before, I'm not a data guy. I am, however, a community guy. And if I'm going to be saying, like, to your average uh, Yahoo ESPN player, do I go average of 260 on Austin Meadows? I do not. If I am talking to your NFBC main event player, I'm looking at the projections being knocking on the door. But I am looking at that 32% K percentage in 2020. And I am going to say, even to your NFBC players, ride the pine. Pine. Not only the pine, <laughs> but the pine. The decline of the pine. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, there it is. Blair has spoken. He has made his point clear. That is how it's done. That is shine or ride the pine. Blair, that was incredible. Thank you so much. This has been a it's been a lot of fun. I really enjoy talking to you, and I'm so glad we finally got to get the mannerisms, the real person that is you before me. I wonder if one day we'll meet up in the Midwest somewhere and, you know, hang out. I wonder if that'll ever happen. Yeah, we can go to Wisconsin Dells and, you know, enjoy a water park together. Wisconsin Dells. I have no idea what that is. It's a bunch of water parks. Oh, that's a classic Midwest thing to do. Go to the old water park. We got Soak City over in Cedar Point. You ever been to Cedar Point? I know. I, I unfortunately, uh, I've never been to Michigan, but my uh, adopted grandparents have a cabin right next to the UP. And oh. I hope to one day cross the border. Well, Cedar Point's in Ohio, technically, but that's good to know. I can't believe you've never been to Michigan. We'll have to rectify that and make that a reality because Michigan, although it has its problems and issues, it's a uh, it's a lovely state physically. I will say that. A lot of uh, great views, especially the UP, Mackinac Bridge, Mackinac Island. A lot of fun stuff up there. Going up there in the summertime, going up north, was that's what you did. That's what you do here in Michigan. They still do it every year. Cruise up old I-75, jam up the freeways, and go up north. So I want to thank uh, Blair so much for having the time and energy to stay on the show and do this with me. Not an easy thing to do. He's a busy man. You have guys, you probably have no idea how busy Blair really is and, like, how much stuff he has going on. So the fact that he gave us some of his time like this, uh, I do not take that lightly. And we thank you for being on the live stream, all the commenters, like Richard Zito and... John Fish, Zach Nelson, all you guys were commenting. Brock, that was very cool. Thank you for being an interactive part of the show with me and Blair. Uh, Blair, this is your final chance to say whatever you want to say right now before we close the show. Get it all on the record. 
Is this where I, I get mad? You can get mad if you want to, or you can just promote yourself. You can do whatever you want. This is your final seg. This is your final moment on this show. You, you know, um, in the uh, draft of the the list of things we're going to talk about, this is where you told me to get mad. And of course, you know, it's like I I adopt the Hulk stance of Mark Ruffalo, where I'm mad all the time. You know, um, <laughs> it, 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 I'm it as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. It just doesn't appear that way, you know. It's like uh, you got to be angry at everything at at some point. Um, That that's just the life of a teacher. Um, I mean, first and foremost, you know, love and be loved. You gotta gotta take care of everybody. Uh, Second, if you're in the fantasy sports community, baseball, fantasy football, fantasy basketball. Apparently, there are fantasy hockey players. you got to take care of uh, of your other people again. Just transform that love and be loved, and take care of your community, because the 12, 14, 15 people you're in your league with, you got to take care of. Um, so if you're in the fantasy community, support everybody. Um, and here, here's my controversial mad take: the fantasy community needs to stop being so commodified. We cannot just look at return on investment of fantasy leagues as the success rate of fantasy sports. We have to look at creators creating for the sake of art, period. Um, There's so much debate right now about people being ranked on their return on investment and their worth as a fantasy community member on how much money they make. And I don't think that's where the community originated. And I don't think necessarily that's where the community should be going because part of this is we're all we're playing a game, right? We're all imagining to be sports managers. We're all doing a proxy of enjoying our favorite sport, whether it be baseball, basketball, football, soccer, what have you. We're all pretending to be a manager of some sort. Commodification that is money coming in to determine who is good at something and who is not good at something commodification has sort of re-ranked us all and created a value system of who we are and suddenly our value into the fantasy community is created by how much money we make Hmm. let's not do that as much if not at all, let's enjoy the game. Let's enjoy the fun. Let's enjoy the community. Let's enjoy the diversity. Because it's through that that allows us to become a better community, a more diverse and a bigger community. And we can have more fun with the game beyond just as a side hustle. The end.
Well, that was very poignant. Thank you, Blair. Does that mean people who are trying to turn their creative efforts, whether it's podcasts, writing, whatever the output is, the number one priority of it should not be to make money. It should be to, you know, connect, engage, uh, have discourse, various things like that. Is that. That's what you're saying. What would no effects say? <laughs> uh, they're doing it for the cause. I know that's what they would say. Yep. You're not doing it for the sustenance, right? And there are corners of the fantasy sports community that do it because it's Wu-Tang or because it's NoFX or because it's, you know, the community. Because what you do is you're locked in an apartment with a couple people and you love doing this for free. There's also the commodification where people are doing this as a living. That is what it is, and I'm not going to put a valuation on that. But at the same time, coming from that background of both punk and academia, I'm going to say the reason I do it is because of the community, not because of the money. Beautiful. Well, I mean, that's a sentiment that kind of is at the heart of the United States. It always has been. People making this decision, trying to do things for the spirit of it, the nature of it, the natural feel of what it it inspires them to be, and then the people who want to commodify things, and they want to maximize their value. You know, they believe my time is worth money, and I'm not going to give my time unless I'm compensated properly. That's Part of the American way. It's always been that way, too. So I I find that your overall kind of point in your rant there, which was very well done, is at the heart of most things. It's really at the crux of what it is to be, you know, a part of the United States. It always has been, always will be, and it won't stop tomorrow, and we will never resolve it, most likely. <laughs> but uh, I, I still appreciate you being honest and forthright and kind of putting yourself out there. I, I commend you for that. You know, we don't, we don't make squat doing this podcast. It's, there's no income for this. You know, we just, I do this because I spent a lot of my life kind of being, uh, I don't know, not afraid, but or a lack of desire to be a focal point. You know, I was like, what's so special about me or why should I, try to get people to look at me or listen to what I have to say. I thought that was like, uh, it was egotistical. I thought there was a lot of arrogance involved in that and a lot of like, me, me, me. And and there is some of that probably. And definitely there is some of that in these types of endeavors, whether you're doing a podcast or you're trying to do a stream. However you are presenting yourself, for the public to consume you in a certain way, regardless if you get paid for it or not. So what I'm giving is my time and energy and myself to this. I I decided a couple of years ago to stop being so filled with like shame and guilt and be like, ah, I'm not, you know, why am I special? There's nothing about me that I should, you know, 
think is unique and I should just go with the flow and not try to rock the boat and just, you know, be grateful that I get to live another day on this earth. And I decided instead to, if I have certain talents and abilities that I think are valuable or provide people with some type of joy or thoughts, you know, makes them think, then why should I not at least try to share that? Why should I not call my shot? Why should I not go out there and say, hey, you know what? I'm worth something, and I have something to offer, and I'd like to share that. I'd like to see if other people find some type of similarity. They find some common ground with me. So that's what I started to do. I I just was going to do. It's really about doing. That's all it was. I just started doing one day. and I made it sound maybe more eloquent than it really was. I just said, you know what? Let's just start doing. I'm going to say do, do, do. And that's all I do now is I do. And if there's a response to it, if it leads to things like this moment we're having right now where you and I are discussing whatever the hell we're discussing right now, one <laughs> thirty in the morning, then I, uh, I think that's... I think that's a benefit. And I don't know if it's a benefit to someone else or not. I can only kind of comment from my own point of view. And so so I, I appreciate what you're saying, and I certainly am not commodifying this in any way. I just I just wanted to I just want to see how far I could take things. So that's what I'm on right now is a journey. I'm trying to see how far I can take this experience. And wherever that leads me, I have no idea. There is no destination. So I don't know what any of that means, but uh, that's kind of just how I, that's how I feel when you said that I'm responding to what you're saying. Absolutely. And I, I hope it doesn't come off that I'm saying that you're commodifying anything. No, no, um, no, 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 not at all. Hell no. no fuck no. That is not even. In particularly, hint. you know, it's the, uh, the DKs and the FDs of the fantasy sports world that, you know, have made fantasy sports so transactional in by yep. the dime, quarter, dollar, five dollar, ten dollar, twenty dollar. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I didn't take it towards me at all, clearly, because we don't do shit here. <laughs> we, just, <laughs> we just create. That's it. Me and Deary are 15, 16 year old friends. We've known each other for a long time, and we said, "Hey, let's start potting," and that's it. So I yep. get what you're saying. I respect what you're saying too. At the same time, I also see a value, you know, to people doing something that people enjoy. And if you can make a career out of something that you enjoy, I don't have a problem with that. And I know you don't have a problem with that either. I think you're just talking about the epicenter, the focus of what we're doing here as an overall community. You're talking from a community perspective, I believe. And that's, I think that's a sentiment that is very valuable. So, I mean, absolutely. And I I don't want to elongate this any longer than it has to be. But as, as an academic, you know, I look at baseball communities and fantasy baseball is a way to celebrate baseball, enjoy baseball and participate vicariously. And to me coming from, you know, sort of the era of where we submitted original fantasy baseball lineups uh, by mail and we scored them by newspaper <laughs> yeah. um, to see that there are large uh, venture capital producing enterprises running off of, you know, uh, uh, cryptocurrency akin ventures 
coming into to fantasy sports, redefining not only what sports is, but mementos, to me, that, that's a little bit worrisome to the community, and the community needs to think about that as a whole. And it's one of those things that when we think about data democratization, whether you're working with Crosby Spencer or Rudy Gamble, what happens when we already have seen NBA Top Shot take moments and assign them to crypto tokens? You're not that old. I'm 39. Um, uh, we've, We've already seen NBA take their highlights and assign them to tokens. What happens when MLB possibly takes all their data and makes it proprietary? And mm. there's no longer data democratization. How yeah, does the fantasy it. sports community play then? What? Yeah, that's a really, really great point to end on there. I will think mm-hmm. about that. I think everybody should think about that because we take it for granted. The ease of access of information when it comes to like baseball data, it, it's pretty easy to get. You sure there's people pay for subscriptions. Hell, Rasball has a subscription, you know, yep. for more access that kind of analyzes the data beyond itself. But the actual data, you can go to MLB, you can go to Baseball Savant, and you can go, you can go apeshit on Baseball Savant, yeah. and there's no, there's no barrier. Yep. So that's coming. It's probably coming. I hate to say it. <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably coming, and that sucks. But, but uh, I mean, when, it, when it comes around to it, and, and this, this isn't like trying to, you know, uh, stroke your ego or anything, but – you're, you're you, Michael Govier and Chris Deary, where you know, wherever you are, um, are going to be you know kind of seen as the quote unquote 2020s punks in the sense that you're doing it yourself, you're creating when other people are commodifying, and you are trying to build community when other people are trying to rank. And, you know, basically make a hierarchy. And ultimately, if you take one thing away from the past two and a half hours that we spent, it's that I enjoy what you are creating and you are doing, Mr. Govier, former social studies teacher uh, and occasional punk listener, uh, an occasional bassist and drummer. And what you're doing is you're taking something and you're making art out of it. And ultimately, hopefully, as humans, that's what we are, are art creators. And if we can all at least, you know, do our best to artify fantasy baseball, I would be super happy with that. And if we make some money off of it, you know, screw the system. Here we go. Well, that sounds great. I'm all for all that. Let's do it. Let's. Cre- I like creating, and I like money too. So, because money can sustain opportunity and freedom, there's no doubt about that. So let's not. You know, we ask the love or money question on this show every time we have someone on, and we mean that because we really do want to know. And people, you know, eight out of ten, it's always been love. There's occasional money person, but money does equal things that allow a life better lived. But it can't be everything. If it's the sole focus of your life. I, I, I've I've just been there. I I know that 
you have to do things because you have a passion for them. And if there is people who will give you a monetary reward for doing so, then you'll get that. It'll come with it. But don't have that be your focus. I've seen too many people on YouTube and all these creators and all the people that have been somewhat happy with what they've created from scratch. It was all because they had a central focus on an original idea and they just harnessed it and they built it and they went to town on it. And that's how they were able to end up at a place where money was given to them because people didn't want to have a day without their content, what they offered them. They're like, I got to have this in my life. So money's just the bonus in the end. People got to remember that. I, I just... I don't know more than anybody else. I think Blair would say the same thing. We're just a couple of dudes. What do we know? We don't know shit more than what we've experienced in our own lives and could read about as much as you could read about. So just remember that going forward. Fantasy baseball is a lot of fun. It's just a game. I never take it too seriously. That's the key thing, Blair. I mean, you're making some great points and some serious points, but none of this is serious to me overall. It's just something to kind of connect with you on, have some laughs. It's a jumping off point for me. I do love baseball. It's fun. But if I took it so seriously where I didn't enjoy it, then I would not want to be a part of it. Yeah. And, you know, if, if there's anybody out there who's feeling like uh, you've not done well in fantasy baseball and you feel like you're excluded, uh, keep at it. And if, if, if you like the game, it's, it's a great game. And honestly, it's provided me some of the best vicarious relationships in my life <laughs> that i mean sometimes you talk to these uh co-managers in your leagues more than you talk to your family um and you share experiences and ultimately um there are people in my home league that started in 2008 random espn league i've gone to twins games with them um friends with them on facebook friends with them on twitter and uh one person i've even brought on to rasball and like <laughs> the, the, these things have consequences years down the road. And I, I, I know there's a community that lost uh, a, a person today to uh, who died. I don't know the circumstances behind it, but obviously it impacted uh, that community very well. Um, and, and I sympathize with that. And I empathize with that because not only uh, have we, you know, in my home league, have we lost people uh, not only through health or uh, communication, but it's like you, you become friends with these people and you become family with these people. That's beautiful. That's a great sentiment to wrap up the show on. Blair Williams has been joining us from Rasball. Don't forget you can read him at Everywhere Blair whenever he types something to be written. But you can also read him uh, at Rasball, right? Uh, every, everywhere Blair at bat at <laughs> Razzball and uh, baseball, football, and basketball. Oh, wow. Okay. I see. I don't even know that part. I learned so much today from Blair. This was a, you know, it's kind of a different episode. We talked about a lot of different stuff. Sometimes um, these things just take a natural course and we allow it to have natural conversations on the show. And I, I'm always going to be down with that. And I want to thank Blair for his contributions and for being a reasonable human being. I always dig that. Don't forget that the Palazzo Invitational still has some spots left in the final league. Go to our Twitter bio, click on the link, and sign up right now at Palazzo Podcast on Twitter. Two L's, two Z's. Utah. And you can send us Give an email, palazzopodcast at protonmail.com, and you can follow us on Facebook as well. We also have a Facebook page. All of our live streams are available on YouTube. You can go to our YouTube channel by, once again, going to the Palazzo Podcast Twitter handle. Click on the YouTube link. It's right there in the bio. 
Palazzo Podcast. Two L's, two Z's. Utah. How many times do I have Give me two. to say it? Thank you to everybody who participated in the show. We'll see you guys next time. Don't forget. Godspeed, everyone. Why are you taking that play? Insane fantasy takes. Why are you taking that play? Insane fantasy takes. Why are you taking that play? You must be insane. Insane fantasy takes. All right, lads. Now, I know there's not a faint heart among you. And I know you're as anxious as I am to get into close action. But we must bring him right up beside us before we spring this trap. That will test our nerve. And discipline will count just as much as courage. The Acheron is a tough nut to crack. More than twice our guns, more than twice our numbers. And they will sell their lives dearly. They mean to take us as a prize. <laughs> and we are worth more to them undamaged. Their greed will be their downfall. England is under threat of invasion. And though we be on the far side of the world, this ship is our home. This ship is England. So it's every hand to his rope or gun, quicks the word and sharps the action. After all, surprise is on our side. <laughs> you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.